Hello, Amigo Eagle Gardens, Eagle Gardens 1 on Instagram, and this is fucking talking shit with Eagle, episode 617. I've hopefully you guys have had a great day. I know I have. Tonight I've got a great guest for you. Uh, Josh, you want to tell us how you're doing and, of course, where they can find you? Yeah, I'm doing great. Uh, thanks for having me on tonight. Um, you can find me at uh, Yggdrasil's Hollow on uh, Instagram. And uh, Yggdrasilshollow at gmail.com. That's uh, Y-G-G-D-R-A-S-I-L-S-H-O-L-L-O-W. And um, that's the World Tree and Celtic Mythology. And um, that's a little bit about what what I've got going on right now. It's, It's what I'm calling it. Well, thank you for joining me tonight, uh, I can't wait to get to know you a little bit better. Uh, hopefully, you got something to smoke on. Did you bring something yeah. this evening to kind of? Yeah. Yes, sir. Wouldn't right. wouldn't uh, definitely wouldn't join you without it. It'd be sacrilege, man. What what did uh what you got there? If you don't mind me uh, asking. So uh, I'm smoking on a a land raise now. It's um Kwazulu. And uh, I'm about to roll me up uh, some docebo. Sounds if you, uh, very if you ever get a if you ever get a chance to uh, try Kwazulu, it's not a real high THC strain, but the terpene profiles that you can find in it are pretty interesting. <clears throat> so uh, I guess we'll get it rolling right where we usually do. Uh, when did uh, cannabis enter your life when and ah. where did uh, cannabis enter your life beautiful dog all right so uh oh thank you so much um so i was uh you know i knew about it i grew up uh in california and um when i was 16 years old a little younger than 16 right about that it was right before my 16th birthday uh the neighbor across the street turned me on to some bud and uh, we were sitting there talking, and he's like, hey, you want to get high? And uh, I said, sure. So I tried it out. And I really didn't notice much. And then um, a couple weeks later, he, got, he, he passed me a bowl again. And that time, I felt it. And um, I really enjoyed it, really liked it. And uh, it was several, you know, several months. And then I uh, was going on a camp out. Got a bunch of my friends high and they liked it. Just kind of moved from there. And that's how I got started in it. You know, I took a long break. And then uh, after uh, I got out of the military, I started smoking again. Um, it really helped me out with some medical issues and um, no other issues in my life. Um, I find it a very, uh, very good plant, very useful plant. And uh, what prohibition has done to uh, society by uh, keeping it from us has been pretty detrimental in my opinion. I very yeah. much agree. And uh, I'd like to thank you for your service. Uh, first oh. and foremost, before we move on, I, I greatly respect uh, you vets. That's for sure. So thank you for your service, my friend. Oh, my pleasure. Come on. Sorry about the dog. She's just wanting to play. Anyway, um, 
yeah, so that was that, man. And, um, you know, I served, I served in the military. Uh, that's not a big, you know, it's not a big chapter of my life. It's, um, I did it because I felt it was the you know, patriotic thing to do. And, um, you know, it's all that, but there's a lot of people that, uh, a lot of people that serve, a lot of people that have lost limbs and, uh, you know, their lives. So definitely, um, I'm, I'm grateful for all of them as well, you know, but, um, that's a heavy subject, man. Um, so, um, with cannabis, um, I, uh, my, my family is, is pretty much a uh, bunch of hippies from, from way back, I guess you would say, but little, you know, it's not, not the stereotypical hippie, I guess, but, um, my grandmother grew, you know, my uncle grew, my dad grew. And, um, so over the time I, I kind of got into the, you know, the, the ideas of growing and, and what it could do, especially after I turned into an adult and was able to, you know, talk to them openly about this stuff. And, um, some of the techniques and stuff that were used by the old school gorilla growers fascinated me. And, um, you know, cause you got to think about it. If you're going out into the woods or a desert or a Creek bed or wherever you're going to be back then it was, you know, it was that that's where a lot of people did it. That that's where they'd grow their personal stashes and, um, they'd have to figure out a way to do it. And the inge ingenuity of cannabis smokers always like blew my mind, man. They come up with the, the craziest ways to make things happen. And a lot of times it's successful. Um, you know, uh, taking, um, you know, um, you could take a, 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 this guy told me about a time he took a five gallon bucket, filled it up with a decomposing black granite and stuck it in the middle of a Creek bed. And um, he grew his yearly stash that way. Um, you know, then, in other times they're growing in the side of a, of a mountain and, um, you know, there's not a whole lot of water, but they can get by water in it three times a week, you know, a gallon, three times a week. So three gallons of water per plant per week in a rough environment, and they come out fairly nice. Um, it made me start wondering like, what, what is the, what makes cannabis do what cannabis does? And, um, so that started me on a, a journey and, uh, the journey was dirt. It was about dirt. Why did the black granite work? Was it the moving water? You know, why did, um, why did that area of land, why did that work better than the one last year? You know, and um, when you start looking at the plant, when you stop looking at the plant, I should say, and you start looking at the soil and what's happening beneath, you know, beneath the ground, um, that's when you start realizing that plants are the drivers of ecosystems um in in small areas and these these uh these plants they communicate and uh, a lot of the research has been done in the last few years that explains how these plants are able to communicate with each other um uh, how funguses can communicate with each other and how bacterial community uh bacterial communities see quorum sensing um or quorum senses uh, and that, that is where all the, you know, there's a certain number of individuals that can agree based on whatever method of communication they use, uh, that it is a good time to ramp up production or it's time to go into a cyst form because, you know, nutrients are running out, our, our energy is going to go down. So we have to, you know, prepare for that. And they do that through quorum sensing. And um, we really don't understand the language 
um, that these things use or how it, it exactly works. But we know that it happens, and we know that it happens not just within kingdom, the same king, uh, kingdom, but it happens, communication between the kingdoms happens as well. And um, several years ago, in uh, the early 2000s, I believe it was, there was a study done, and they took some isotopes and they traced them through these plants. And they found out that these big trees will take care of the little trees that are um, under their canopy that are connected to it. And they do that um, via the, the mycelial networks. And so, you know, that really gets you thinking about soil, you know, what like mushrooms live in the ground. The fruiting body is just a very small portion of it, you know, but um, the mycelial network can span vast areas, miles of, of area. And um, they're channeling nutrients and it's communicating. So that mycelial network will kind of connect your whole system, right? It, it, it lets everything communicate. Now you can get fungal dominant and you need to be able to control that so that you don't get too fungal dominant. But um, you know, anything in excess is too much. But that's, that, that's the trick with soil because each plant has a certain bacterial to fungal ratio that it likes to, to live in. And it communicates with specific uh, colonies of, or certain types of bacteria. And um, it's not limited to one type. Um, they're opportunist. And uh, so they're gonna use the best tools they have to get everything they can from them. And there's a reason why they do this. And um, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But um, as far as the, the soil goes, the key as with the cannabis grower, you're trying to achieve a well aerated, well watered environment that, that is slightly fungal dominant. And um, there's a million ways that people have come up with to achieve this. And um, there's a technique or a system that I built, and uh, I call it Yggdrasil's Hollow. Um, and I call it that because Yggdrasil's hollow is the, uh, it connects the nine realms and there's nine macro elements that uh, plants need. So I, I thought it was a, a, a fitting name. And um, anyway, it's a tree of life and uh, life is dependent on life. And for us and most of all other animals, uh, plant life is extremely important. Uh, it brings in a huge source of, of carbon um, to the soil. And uh, through photosynthesis, it, it, it utilizes a lot of carbon. And um, life on Earth is carbon-based. Um, the microbes feed on that carbon. The mycelium feeds on the carbon. Uh, we feed on it. Um, they're, they're pretty useful. And without plants, there is no soil. So all those little thoughts and... and uh, knowns that we have nowadays leads me to where I'm at with uh, my cannabis journey. And um, I have this philosophy that I, I believe cannabis can literally change the world. And it's not because of the plant. It's because people like you, people like me, people like, you know, um, vets, people, all kinds of people down, you know, that, that are involved in this community, uh, community that share knowledge. You see, we're operating through quorum sensing in this platform, on this platform. We're all sharing ideas, exchanging ideas, and we're making 
advances organically, non-centralized within the community. And I think that's a good way to be. It's a good way to live. It's in, in balance with nature. Um, it's mimicking the way nature does or the way nature functions. And uh, I think that's very important. And um, so in, in the spirit of, of sharing information, um, I'd like to share with you um, a little bit about how my system works and how it functions. And uh, it all is dependent on air and water. Um, do you have any questions about anything I said or anything you want to pop in and say? only want to step in in the way right now i'm fascinated please please okay. go all right my friend so um with the with uh bacteria and fungi we have an, an interesting phenomenon that occurs um bacteria and fungi live and exist in the same area um okay so what we have here is a column laying on its side over here is the aerobic zone. Over here is the anaerobic zone. Up here we have fungi. Up here we have bacteria. The, the largeness of the font indicates its dominance. So all things being equal, proper carbon inputs, proper oxygen inputs, proper moisture content, fungi will be dominant in aerobic soils. When you get down to this area, the anaerobic side, your bacteria are gonna be dominant and your fungi are gonna be lower to a point to where, as far as I know, um, they, you, can get, you get to an anaerobic state where they, they can no longer grow. So if we think about that, and we think about that in the soil column, plants like to grow in the aerobic zone. However, in areas like the Amazon rainforest, some plants can grow in a more, it's not quite anaerobic, it's a transitory zone where it fluctuates between aerobic and anaerobic. And in those places, instead of getting anaerobes to work with your soil, there's facultative, or instead of getting aerobes to work with your soil, you're getting facultative anaerobes to work with your soil. Now, facultative anaerobes evolved pretty interestingly. They don't require oxygen. Um, it's not necessary for them to, to live or exist. However, in the presence of oxygen or air, um, because it's atmospheric gases, not just oxygen, but in the presence of atmospheric gases, these facultative anaerobes increase their reproduction cycle. And as they increase the reproduction cycle, they're processing more carbon. They're deconstructing the, the, the source material that they're feeding on, they're making enzymes, they're making amino acids, they're making all kinds of things that plants need in order to survive and thrive. But they, to, in order to really kick them off, they require air and they require moisture. As we move further down, we get into the microaerophils. Now, microaerophils, they may be beneficial. I'm not real, real familiar with them, but just in the gist of it, they exist in the Goldilocks zone, right? So micro air files will, they don't like it too, too much air and they don't like it not enough air. They want to be right in the middle. And, and they, they really tend to stay in this zone. Now, when we get down into the anaerobic zone, now you're going to start seeing a lot of the, um, 
a lot of issues with, with plants. Um, like for instance, a plant can exist in lower aerobic in a, a lower aeration zone than a fungi can, or a higher, they require more air. So the fungi can exist where the plant is, um, it has less air. So the plant's not getting what it needs. That's where you get like fusarium problems and, and, and things like that. That's coming from an aeration problem in your soil. Um, we do all kinds of cool things to make that happen. We use peat moss. We use, you know, um, perlite. We use lava rocks. You know, people use pumice. People use all kinds of things to achieve the aeration with saturation. However, there's a key factor that we forget. The bacteria and the fungi both exude exudates. The bacteria makes a glue and the fungi makes a type of a glue. Now, mushrooms require a lot of saturation, right? They require quite a bit of filled capacity in the soil structure in order for them to fruit. The mycelium can exist in a, uh, a slowed down metabolism with less moisture and it can hold moisture and absorb the moisture in a smaller zone and kind of shuttle moisture around. So fungus are really, 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 really good at moving water, really good at it. They're so good at it, in fact, roots have formed relationships with them in the form of uh, these rhizosheaths that can form over a lot of plants that are these symbiotic relationships between the fungi, bacteria, and the plant. And that allows the rhizophagy cycle to, to, to happen. And we'll get into that a little bit. but. Um, Anyway, as the since the fungi can exist in less air than the, the plants typically can be healthy in, the diseased start to manifest in the plants. Um, the fungal spores that cause a lot of these bacteria are present in everywhere. They're in the air, they're, they're on your clothes. Um, and as clean as you try to get, you're probably not going to stop it. And uh, it's not necessarily the introduction of these things that causes the problem. It's the weakness in your plant, as I understand it. And um, the weakness in your plant, more often than not, is, has to do with the ratio to air and water in your soil. If you overwater it, you get problems. If you underwater it, you get problems. And it's that happy medium, that zone where all life in the profile is happy that you want to achieve. So. If we look at the, uh, if, we, if we go ahead and we look at the soil column, this will be our soil column going down here. We can see that the um, essential elements I have written on the side here, by atomic weight, your hydrogen, in, your hydrogen, carbon and oxygen run between one and 16 in, in the atomic weight. The highest one, the highest, macronutrient as far as the atomic weight goes that you're going to need is the molybdenum, uh, and that's at 96. So since we know heavy things fall, heavy things sink, right, in the soil profile, we can imagine that when you, you water, right, you're adding your water, you're getting hydrogen that's coming in, the, the, the bacteria are breaking it down, utilizing it, the plants using it, and they're, they're going through a process and they're splitting these the parts that they need and freeing up other parts so there's only so much water or hydrogen and oxygen in water and um there's only so much oxygen in this air in this zone 
that we're talking out here, right? This is where our plants are going to grow. So our little plants are growing up here. And this is where we're normally putting their, the oxygenated air zone, right? And then as we go here, we, we get some of these uh, the, 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 the uh, facultative anaerobes that start to kick in. And that's what's feeding our, our, our soil. And we have this thin, tiny, tiny, tiny layer, this lens of fungal activity happening, right? That's typically what we're seeing in, in a soil structure. Um, and the reason why we, we get this effect, and it could be bigger if you have real well air, uh, a lot of aeration, you might be down to here in the pot. Um, but the reason why this happens is because as you water, the air is used by your microbial life. The more microbes you have in your system, the faster they're going to utilize the resources, right? So the healthier system is, the faster it's going to burn through the, the aerated zone. And it's only going to get re-aerated the, during the water cycle as you're causing the water, the moisture to seep through the soil column and cause that, that, uh, that influx of, of oxygen, oxygenated water going into the soil column. So how do you fix that? Well, you need to add air and you need to add water, right? That's, that's the key, that's what you need. Well, if we look at other things that we need, such as nitrogen, our atmospheric, the atmospheric gases, that's 78% nitrogen, right? And that's only coming in contact with this thin lens here but it's super necessary. But the atmospheric nitrogen can only come into contact here. Now, we have a lot of organic nitrogens that form in the soil, so, and we can add it fairly easily. But um, this is a, a free source. Uh, this is a free source. The oxygen and the nitrogen, and uh, it's 21%. The uh, atmospheric gases are roughly 21%. And then CO4 is minuscule, 0.4. And uh, the other gases, are at which ozone is included and ozone is very important in the microphage uh, rhizophagy cycle um anyway that, that's included in the 0.96 percent of gases anyway i say all that to say this in order to achieve this you only need a few things and um i brought this thing it's called a uh, an ultrasonic atomizer and uh, it's pretty simple it's, I don't know if you can see it all right, but it's, it's pretty simple. It has a ceramic disc. There's a voltage that runs through the current and it oscillates the current and vibrates these ceramic discs. It doesn't get clogged up. And uh, you just put it in water and it, um, they're used oftentimes in, um, for like growing uh, mushrooms or fountains and stuff like that. But they produce fog. Let me get plugged in for you. This is awesome. Thank you for good taking the time to go set go through all this, set all this oh, up, man. Don't worry, give me awesome. a second. That plug work. It. <clears throat> Everyone is loving this so far. Good. All right, so I won't have to move the camera, but um you'll be able to see. All right, see this this is a. it's not a mist, it's a it's a fog. And uh, you can see it pours out. 
Uh, can I, is that picking up okay? Yeah, yeah, we can see that. Okay. So anyway, the reason why this is important is because a mist won't work. It has to be a fog. And um, if I had another bucket, I could dump this fog into the bucket and then dump that bucket out. Um, because that's how fine the micro droplets are. It's like a cloud. If you don't have that, you can't continually run air through your soil, right? You just can't do it because you'll dry out your medium. So by using the ultrasonic fogger, it's a, you can get around that. And by doing that, I can extend this lens all the way through the whole profile of my grow system. And um, <clears throat> it's done, you, um, you know, the hydroponic pumps that you use, they're like 0 0.2 uh, PS, uh, whatever, atmosphere things, millibar things, where it increases the air pressure 0.2% above atmosphere. That's all you need. You just need a positive air pressure and a closed vessel at the bottom. And it would look something like this. So this is your reservoir, your bottom container, your water level, your atomizer, Your atomizer is going to make your fog. Fog is going to go up and it's going to condense in here. You're going to have, because you have a, uh, a sealed container, right? So this is the bottom reservoir and then your plant is growing above it. Okay. So this is your grow bucket, we'll just call it. And this is your reservoir. And now your reservoir only needs to be about eight inches tall. But anyway, you, you, you have your water filled up, you got your fog collecting in here, and now you're running it, pumping that air and that mist straight up through your grow medium. And uh, by doing that, you have that whole soil profiles filled with the aerobic bacteria that we're looking for. Uh, it gets completely, um, you can control the fungal dominance. You can control if you want it bacterial dominant. Um, it just gives you one more element of control, and it's that simple. It's an atomizer in the bottom of a reservoir that's airtight, and it only allows the air to move up through the growth medium in one direction. Your air pump will be going out here, and a little tube will be going into the side, uh, and it's airtight. And then it just pumps in here, causes the air pressure and that forces your cloud through the grow medium. And, um, you know, I'd like to totally take credit for the idea, but um, I kind of got the idea from um, there's a, a scripture in Genesis that says uh, that the earth had not. Um, that a mist came up from the ground because the earth, it had not rained. And there was no man to water the earth or something like that. But it mentioned the mist coming up out of the ground. And um, I found that as a fairly interesting little, um, little tidbit. And uh, when I built my first system and tried it out, it, it popped in my head. And uh, so, you know, I, I just thought that was a little cool aside. Right up.
pretty interesting stuff so far. Sorry, I dropped out there for a minute. My internet connection is uh, spotty this evening. But man, this is a, an awesome system. Uh, I'm glad that. Uh, so does it work just with uh, this uh, kind of? It's basically like a SIPS method, right? A souped up kind of SIPS method. I'm not familiar with that. What, uh, tell me about it. Uh, a SIPS method is a kind of an earth box where it's kind of uh, being fed uh, oh, like a wicking, bed, basically. Wicking, yeah, uh, yeah kind of yeah, like a wicking, wicking system. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, possibly, possibly you can look at it that way. The difference is you can't, you can't with uh, that, with the wicking system, you can't con uh, directly control the aeration of the soil. So, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, you're getting the water fed up. Yeah, there's better aeration, but um, I don't think it, it doesn't have a, uh, I don't believe it, it puts the, uh, like forces the air through the soil column. I'm not sure. Force it, it kind of naturally does it, but uh, I think this is a much better system. This more or less seems like a race car uh, type approach to that method. Well, it definitely takes you, it takes it to another level. Um, if you do a lot of hiking or whatever by waterfalls, if you notice how, like how, just how lush and green everything is. And um, a lot of that has to do with the way that the plant can take up the moisture, right? So when you, when we do foyer sprays, you know, we, we, You'll, you'll wet your leaves and the plants can like that sometimes. Um, if you think about it, that's kind of like what the fog coming up from the soil kind of mimics that as well. Because that moist air is going to, you know, kind of wet that up. Uh, it, it's going to move through the soil mass and that, that same column of air is going to go up through your canopy. Now, all the biological life is respirating, right? So your fungi are giving off CO2. And your bacteria are given off CO2. But these gases get stuck in the soil. And then when we water, some of them will like dissolve and they move through and it changes the chemistry a little bit. But we don't really get them to pump it up into the grow room. So we're in essence, waste. I mean, have you, you know, you, you see these, these cubes that you buy and they're, they're these bags of mycelium. And you put them in your grow room and it produces CO2. Well, you've got carbon in your grow bag, right? Because your soil's got to have some carbon in it or it's not going to work. Mushrooms like carbon, increase the carbon content a little bit, give them the aeration and moisture they want in your grow bag. You're, you're, you, you create a symbiotic community that's producing CO2 for your plant. And uh, you can elevate CO2 levels that way. Um, it's there's some advantages that I have found that I haven't I haven't been able to see quite replicated. Um, it does kind of supercharge the soil because that's what it's all about. Um, the plant is it's the it steers the growth. Right. So if you think about the plant as the rancher, it's going to be selecting the microbes that it likes to grow with. So you need to make sure that it has a really diverse population. 
And by ensuring that only the beneficials can thrive based on the environment, you're not going to have you're not going to have problems like uh, like you would with uh, other ways. Um, I've heard nothing but good things about the earth box. I haven't tried them yet. Um, I was talking about exudates with the bacteria and, and whatnot. So when you let a soil dry out, because the mushroom requires moisture, uh, like a, a large soil capacity full of water, it, the soil capacity needs to be pretty high. Um, in order to get the mushroom to fruit, the mushroom, the mycelium has a tendency to be hydrophobic with short bursts of water, right? So, and, and the same thing with some of the bioglues that bacteria make, because it doesn't do them any good to like, like start, oh yeah, we're going to make some mushrooms. We're going to really kick it off now. Going to throw a party. And then all of a sudden the water runs out. So they have a hydrophobic state that the water will run off them until it sinks in over time. Now that time, it doesn't take that much of, you know, it's not that long of a period of time because you got to figure a short rainstorm is only going to drop a little bit of moisture. But when you're watering in your pot, you will have fungal colonies, you will have bacterial colonies, and if they dry out, the water is going to run off to the sides and you will end up with voids. Now, your plant's going to do okay. You can force feed them, you can give them nutrients, you can give them all kinds of love and, and care, but the bacteria, your soil is not happy. It's just not happy. Uh, but we, we know how to make plants happy in soil that's not happy. I mean, look at our farms for crying out loud. You know, we got these, these monoculture industries where we're, we're growing shit tons of corn as far as the eyes can see. Hardly no fungal counts whatsoever. We just keep pumping them full with, uh, of, of synthetic nutrients, you know. And the plants do, seem to do okay. But when you check what's in them, that it's not there. Now, there's another thing that um, is dependent on aeration of soil, and um, that is your potassium uh, uptake. Uh, potassium activates genetics. So like in a breeding program, if you have a problem with your potassium channels, uh, not getting enough potassium or whatever, you're not going to be able to activate the enzymes required to transfer the genes. Um, with and, and that's directly dependent on the presence of oxygen. So the deeper you can get that oxygenated zone, the better your plant can process your potassium. Phosphorus is similar, but not as dependent on the aeration. Um, but it, it, it does kick up the, the process a little bit, but it definitely does it with potassium. So, which where, where does cannabis uh, fall in your opinion in that uh, scale that you were showing earlier, as far as the the more anaerobic or bacterial fungal side of things? Is there a sweet It'll, spot, or I think the sweet spot is um, is near the top. Um, you know the way they grow. If you think about it, they they grow out their lateral roots. Their taproot only goes as deep as it needs, and then it throws off a lot of fine roots. 
and it, it'll grow that thick root mat near the aerated zone because that's where the action is is for it you know now it'll fill up the pot too you know but um the the the, the roots don't go real 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 deep that's not what it does you know and um there's there's some plants that can shoot roots really deep you know 10 15 20 foot deep and i imagine if you had cannabis outside it can shoot out a tap root pretty fucking deep but in your potted plants that's if you look at the morphology it's normally a you get that lens in the well aerated zone you know they don't like to grow in um you know they don't like real wet conditions they like to be a little drier that tells you they like a little more aeration anything that likes to grow in a drier zone likes more aeration uh it likes water um but you have to be able to give it the water without reducing the air you know the the availability availability of the aeration so if you overwater it it causes a problem and um so i think it, it falls right in that high ox uh, high aeration so it likes a lot of atmospheric gases it likes a uh, fungal slightly fungal dominant but it likes a lot of bacterial activity too uh, I, I think that's why it performs so well with uh, the bacterial teas so in the air like if you're thinking about the process of secession and what cannabis does cannabis can grow in some really really harsh environments so it's kind of more like a pioneer species you know it can grow where other things can't grow and it makes a lot of carbon you know cannabis makes a ton of enzymes lots of carbons and when it dies other things eat it and as it that happens the soil builds up you know so i think in the the in that sense if you're thinking about cannabis you shouldn't really think of that the same way you would think of like a tamed tomato or a tamed, you know, uh, uh, some sort of produce that we buy from the store. Um, it is, uh, it's still wild. Uh, we've cultivated the hell out of it. We've changed it. We've done this, we've done that, but it is still, it is still an amazing plant that can grow in some harsh conditions, extremely harsh conditions. So that puts it into the, you know, like pioneer type plants. and. Um, I would definitely be running it in high air and anytime you have oxygen, you have to throw carb carbon in. So where if you were going to throw a soil mix together or something like this, you would want your carbon ratio to be like really high uh, and a low, a slow breaking down carbon and then like a, a fast carbon. So your slow carbon would be like a Coca-Cola air and your fast release carbon is going to be like your mulch, your wood chips. And you want it to be a high, very high ratio. You're talking 65, 75, 85% wood chips when you start out and uh, cocoa coir. And then um, you cook it off for about a month because you, you add some greens in it. Now it's going to cook off like compost, but it's going to happen really, really fast. Put a cover crop in it that's directed towards the kind of microbes you're wanting to start to harvest. Start adding your teas to the mix. And then you get a li living soil and the microbial community inside of that soil after you grow some cannabis in it is going to be geared towards cannabis. So when you put your next successional species in there, because part of the part of the deal is you got to let it go through a successional cycle. So you grow. You saturate, reduce the air. Now you've created a more uh, anaerobic state. So you're going to have different microbes in the community doing different things. They're going to start letting some of the um, 
like sulfur compounds that are locked up, they'll start releasing some of these organic sulfurs back into the, uh, the system. Uh, they'll start pulling the, um, the metallic ions that, you know, are unorganized in the soil and they'll start organizing it within the cellular structure for the rhizophagy cycle to take place. And all these things happen, but you have to have the succession. And when we grow, we don't think succession. We think nutrients, nutrients, nutrients. Well, we end up with a lot of nutrients. Um, if you look at all the river runoff from our farmland that we have, you know, it's the same theories, the same school that taught these guys how to do it. That's the same educators that we're basing our knowledge off of, right? So we're, they're doing it on large scale, nitro, uh, you know, the nitrification of the, the river and the waterways and all that kind of stuff's happening. And we're sitting here, we're doing it on a small scale and we're not recognizing that, hey, we're really not utilizing our resources to their max uh, because we're cutting the cycle in half. We're only doing this, the aerobic side of things. But if we run our soil through an anaerobic cycle, we unlock a lot of things, a whole lot of problems that are in there. Um, or a lot of deficiencies that we find that we need to add things for, they no longer are deficiencies because it's all in there. It's just not accessible to the plant because it hasn't went through the process. So cannabis likes to grow in the aerobic zone, but that doesn't mean that there's, when the cannabis plant dies, there's not a snowpack or a heavy rain that creates a anaerobic state for the bacteria to be able to go through and process things that the aerobic bacteria can't tracking yes sir yes sir so um what size uh, containers are we talking about here and is uh like cover crops uh suggested with them as well um sac sacrificial cover crops so not a cover crop that's going to necessarily um, be the the plant that you're growing in there. Uh, grass, I, I grow a little bit of grass as a cover crop. It's very beneficial, or it's a good host species to endophytes. It develops good rhizophagy colonies, or um, rhizo, uh, rhizomorphic colonies, or the, the 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 mushrooms that form the rhizos, um, the rhizosphere. Anyway, they fall. Um, yeah, they're 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 great. Um, the grass is great for that. Um, but you have other bacteria that you're trying to build homes for too. Um, so you've got, you know, nitrogen fixing bacteria. Um, they're present on legumes. You want to get your, so, you know, plant some beans in there. And then after they grow up and they start putting off a couple sets of leaves, just till them back into the ground, back into your pot and uh, let them add some nitrogen. Now they'll start feeding that organic nitrogen and uh, that green compost will start breaking down and uh, feed the microbes that way. And after it breaks down, it, it's, you know, you'll know the temperature in your the system changes and um, it's ready to plant. And uh, the cover crops, you always keep your soil covered. And uh, basically like regenerative agriculture practices, it's bringing those indoor and using microbes to do the regeneration. Instead of using, you know, we're eating it, we're chopping the grass instead of using a cow or a chicken to graze, we become the grazer. You know, we, we have to facilitate that aspect. So it's not like just throw some seeds on the ground and, and let them do what they want to do. It's when do you end their life cycle? 
for the optimization of the, the microbial life. So if I have plants in there, I want my microbes, if I'm going to plant a new seed, I want the microbes to colonize it, right? So I want to do a, a like kill it off, kill, kill the vegetation off so that the microbes that are in that system need to find a new host. And they'll, the only thing that's producing the sugars they want is the cannabis. And so initially when you, when you're doing your cover crop, I think it's best to do that. Just, you put them in there, you use them as a nitrogen source, you know, and you, and a sugar source, cause they're, they're putting the exudates into the soil. They're farming some microbes. They're, they're starting to build those colonies up. So you, you just kind of use them to, to steer your soil in the direction of cannabis. Can this system be incorporated in uh, a bed type uh, row indoors or does it have to be a container type system? Um, okay, so it has to have a chamber that pressurized that you can pressurize and put the fog in. The chamber that is above that is only limited to the imagination. Um, there's a few designs that I'm working on um, that I'd like to, you know, bring out, uh, bring out, uh, put out sometime, you know, uh, commercially. But that's not what my that's not what that's not what my drive was when I made this. Um, I, I'm just fascinated with the 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 way the biology works in the soil, and I needed a way to control it, you know, and um, that's that's a way. And um, it started out trying to do that, trying to 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 make the soil biology work well. You know, ideally, I wanted to be able to walk out to, to my yard, grab a couple shovelfuls of, of soil from different areas and mix it in with a high carbon source and turn it on and plant some seeds. And um, I did. And it functioned. But um, when I kicked it up, you know, kick it up with some organic nutrients, it, it behaves better. Um, you know, so I wouldn't say uh, just go grab some handfuls of dirt, throw it in the system and, and make it work. Definitely treat it like you would any other organic system and just add more carbon to it. So uh, how many runs have you tried indoors with this system? Uh, how successful has it been with cannabis? It sounds like an amazing system. Uh, does it well, take a run or two to kind of get it established? Uh, a lot of times you hear when people put together organic runs, uh, you know, eh, first one's good, second or third, they kind of, you know, stall out, and then they kind of get sweetened after that. Uh, so is it something like this? Is there a, a, a priming phase, if you will? Um, so... The bacterial colonies are fed by the plant, right? So if you, you don't need a huge bacterial colony to take care of a seedling. And the bacterial colony will grow as fast as that seedling grows. So if you have a soil that you, like a pre-mixed soil that, that you put together and you've got your amendments in it, like a super soil and you're ready to go, pop that into the system and turn it on. If you are trying to build your system from scratch, like, you know, using totally organic natural inputs that you're gathering from around your area, 
you're going to want to let it go through a process of cooking off because that's how you're going to get, that's how you're going to go through the successional processes. You need that extra nitrogen. You need the greens in with the carbons. Cause if you don't, it's just the ratio has got to be right. Bacteria need a minimum of uh, eight of uh, eight, <clears throat> excuse me. I believe it's eight. It's an eight to one ratio. And I believe it's carbon to nitrogen. So for, Every one carbon molecule, there needs to be at least one nitrogen molecule in order for the bacteria to function, or it's going to take them forever to break down the carbon source. So when you're working with carbon, that's it, you got to that's one of the things you got to understand with living systems that there's a carbon to nitrogen ratio that is important. So if you can pop the nitrogen in, which 78% of our atmospheric gases is nitrogen, right? then you can run a higher carbon system because you have more nitrogen going through the system. And uh, that means your bacterial colonies can really, really grow fast. So if you're cooking it off, you're talking no more than a month, you know, 40 days at the, the top end of that, depending on temperature. And then your soil's done, cooked, ready to go. No, that's um, that's using the gathering your own stuff, though. You know, so I've done that a couple runs. Um, I've ran three runs to flower, um, to harvest in it. Um, I've done one side by side, and uh, the side by side, everything was identical. Uh, Fifteen gallons was is the size uh, size I like to use for the system. It's uh, manageable. Um, so I put two 15-gallon pots out, same soil blend, uh, same nutrient run, all that kind of stuff. Everything was the same. Uh, the only difference was I added more carbon to the one that went into the system. That was it. And that's because you kind of need to. And um, so I ran it, and I ended up with a 47% um, increase in overall yield. Uh, that's on one run. That's my own run. Um, but that was the numbers. Uh, and that's total, you know, the, after the, after it was all done, measured, weighed, dried, cured, um, 47% more in the jar. Uh, terpene profiles higher. I believe that has to do with the, uh, the way the enzymes, um, function. You know, the enzyme production happens, but it can only happen through a thin lens in the presence of oxygenated air or aerated soil, I should say. Um, and so I think that's why that explains that. Right now, I have a few people, a few, um, a few uh, friends. They're starting. Uh, they're they're, they're trying, trying it out for me. and They're going to be giving me their feedback. And I, I want harsh judgment. You know, I want to wire this down, know what the mistakes are. And uh, there's one thing I noticed is that. Um, since you're using the micro, you know, the micro droplets of water, um, you don't want the splash that comes up from the vibrations to splash the bottom of your pot. That changes the, the dynamics. It still functions. It's just not quite as good. Uh, it took me a couple runs um, in my early stages uh, to, to, to figure out what that problem was. But if you can keep the, the, just the fog going through the system, um, you'll, you'll be surprised at how fast the plants grow. Um, even if the water's hitting the, the bottom, it's still going to grow fast. You'll, you, you'll still be blown away. But if you had water hitting the bottom of it 
And uh, this might be useful for somebody out there. So if you have your, the bottom of your container and you have the water droplet splashing up, hitting the bottom of it, it changes the way that the gas is moved through. So if you remove that, you'll see an improvement in plant growth. Um, you know, but that's, again, these things, observations like this, if it's coming from one person, take it with a grain of salt. But anybody out there, please verify the results. You know, try it out yourself. And um, if you're interested in doing it, hit me up and um, I'll, I'll definitely walk you through it and um, see what happens. Pretty amazing system, man. Uh, so have you always been this interested in the soil or did cannabis uh, make you dive this deep into the soil? Um, shit, man. So, <clears throat> you know, that some people are into sports and, and into to going out and doing things. Um, <clears throat> I'm into nature. I like to explore. And um, I can spend hours staring at bugs move on the ground. So um, it's just been something I've been into, like, forever, as long as I can remember. Um, you know, I was I was shit in my I was a kid in my teens my uncle turned me on to uh Paul Stamets and um David Aurora's Mushrooms Demystified and um that's all about it man those are like the it mushrooms are like molecular deassemblers man they can take shit complex carbohydrates that take forever to break down and <laughs> break them down turn them into things that are useful to everything else around them. They can be introduced to a new thing that they have never seen before. They've never come across this thing before. And they will figure out if it's a carbon source, how to break that shit down. And that's not every fungi. That's the fungal community, you know, collectively. Um, some are better at different types of carp, breaking them down than others. So like oil, you know, um, oyster mushrooms can literally break down engine oil into an inert medium. Now, if there's heavy metals in it, those heavy metals, that's, that's debatable. Uh, you might not want to eat those mushrooms. They can, they can consolidate heavy metals in their, the flesh of the cap, you know, the fruit. But um, all, that, all that stuff, man, they, they just, they, they just fascinated me and um, watching what they do. And then I found out about cordyceps and holy cow, this is a, a mushroom that attacks an insect kind of like possesses it, makes it into a zombie. The thing is dying, but it'll make this bug walk up the top of a limb and it'll hold on to the top of that limb. And then a mushroom pops out of the top of its head and sporulates and infects other, you know, Paul Stamets found out that a mushroom like cordyceps, they, they kill insects, but the insect that they target, if it just killed them all, the insects would develop a resistance against it. Right? So these mushrooms, break down these carbons and then they reassemble these molecules that they broke down and they get, they, they, they make this, this super attractant. And so when it's in the mycelial stage, it'll attract these, these, uh, these dry rot termites. It'll, it'll attract it to the mycelial plate and it'll eat them. Uh, the, um, the, 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 the termites will eat the fungus and then they get infected with the fungus, right? So 
it's kind of neat, but in its spore form, which is the form that insects would come across it in the wild, it's a repellent. So these mushrooms do, they, they figure out how to get around the animal's defenses. Uh, they, it, it, and it, it, they control the animal, man. They, they, can they control their motor functions or the insect. And um, that was absolutely fascinating to me. And it got me into that, you know. Um, I lived in this little town called Rialto, uh, California, and they had really rich black soil. And um, there was uh, these little glowworms. And if you would dig into the soil, you would find them. They, they would phosphoresce. And you'd see the little green glow in, in the dark. That was kind of cool. So, you know, I've always been crawling on my, on my hands and knees looking at the dirt. That's pretty awesome, man. Uh, I agree, man. It's pretty fascinating what the mycelium can do, to be honest with you. The, the little high phase, being able to actually penetrate into stone and be able to just bust that shit up is quite impressive. You know what I mean? Something just microscopic. You know what I mean? Just amazingly busting up and powerhousing its way through nature. and uh, But yet so gentle, it can live in our gut and keep us alive, break down, keep things flowing. And, you know, and again, it is a second brain in our gut. I don't think it uh, people really realize that, you know, we, we, we call ourselves human, but realistically, the amount of DNA versus actual uh, fungi or mycology in the body, there's more mycology in, than there is DNA in a body. <laughs> it's wild, so, man. It's wild. Holy shit, man. So uh, when you grow with, uh, with, with soil, have you ever used any, any, any way to um, increase oxygenation through your soil profile or aeration? I try to um, use as much of an aerated system as possible. Before uh, growing in soil, I used to grow in uh, a very aerated cocoa very chunky okay. chunky i mean like three quarter inch cocoa core. all right it almost looked more like a mulch than it did the standard cocoa and i tried to uh keep that inoculated as much as i could with microbes and then frequent feedings frequent feedings and uh but i noticed when you were talking earlier i think i when i come into soil i have always kind of thought about adding the chunky cocoa instead of perlite to my soil system as far as for aeration. But uh, I use uh, air pots as well as something to try to keep the soil well aerated. Um, and uh, the SIP systems, of course, I think helps as well. I do run a couple of uh, those type of pots as well. I try to bottom feed as much as possible eh, you know I, I i'm mindfully trying to keep as much aeration into in the soil as possible yeah so yeah uh, nice I, yeah. 
it, and it's a challenge. It's like it, it's it's something you really have to think about, you know. Um, and, and a mistake can cost you your whole growth, you know. So that that's yeah, that's definitely one of the the, the key components. And um, I, I do believe it is the nitrous oxide, or it's the nitrous system for your your car. That's that's what air is to your soil. But the the, the larger that profile can be, the better. Now there's drawbacks to cocoa coir air, right? Um, you've got that, it's like a, a 40 to one carbon to nitrogen ratio. So the microbial life has a really difficult time, you know, breaking it down over time. So there's not, the carbon's there, but it's not accessible. So I like it. It's a, it's a great long-term carbon source. But for carb, uh, for organic grows, I think that there should be more like leaf mulch is excellent. A lot of people don't like bringing leaf mulch into the garden because of pests. Um, if you have a living dynamic ecosystem within your soil system, the pests really, really aren't a problem. I, you know, do a little preventive maintenance, uh, make sure things are squared away and you're pretty much dialed in. You, you can use leaf mulch, you know. Uh, as far as breaking down the cocoa, man, uh, the last run I did with the cocoa, uh, Mr. Smiley's garden, so I talked about him much respect. He is most definitely the, the uh, organic side of the channel. Uh, brought me some earth boxes pre prepped with some uh, soil that he had uh, put together. Uh, basically, uh, uh, a hyped up or a, his take on a boots mix basically I guess and uh, so when that came it also came with some uh, stuff from Brandon Russ some Bokashi and some micro inoculants and I threw that Bokashi on that chunky cocoa a brand new run which I would normally get a few runs out of that chunky chunky cocoa which actually by the time I was done with my cocoa, it was probably about to the consistency of where most people would have bought it. You know what I mean? Uh. <laughs> so, uh, so it was brand new when uh, this round and I thought, well, what the heck? I'm going to, I'm going to throw some of this Bokashi in on this, on this cocoa and see what it does. And, by the end of that run, that Bokashi had busted down that cocoa core to practically a fine, fine silt. <laughs> I was incredibly awesome. I couldn't believe how quickly it had went down and how far. Yeah, I was pretty impressed by the process. So. Uh, is it, does that have a, a place in your system? Uh, Bokashi, uh, any, any, any organic method, any, like anything that you use, Bokashi, I, that, that stuff you're making, you can make yourself, right? Like, uh, that's, that's like, uh, oh, it's a, a certain type of ferment that people are making, right? So, like, um, I know there's a bunch of people, a lot of these things have names, and it depends who you're talking to, like, there's this, this stuff called uh, EMO, effective microorganism, and it's, it's somebody trademarked that. And then there's, you know, 
there's other names. I don't know, is Bokashi a method or is it trademark? But you could use it any either way. I I, I mean that's that's irrelevant. Um, I just I, I, I'm not exactly uh, positive what what that is. I haven't used Bakashi. So if it's a technique, tell me what the technique is, and I'll tell you if I use have used it. Uh, again, I, I'm not quite sure. I'm pretty sure it's a microbial uh, way of breaking things down. It's just kind of in a inoculated into a like a grain that you sprinkle okay. into. Uh, All right. Yeah. So whatever. I think it's, uh, I think that, yeah, I think that's a, there's a method to that. I've heard of it. There's a few different guys. I'm trying to remember that dude's name. Um, he's real big into the Korean natural farming scene. And um, uh, he, he calls them um, something else. Like some, there's these two different stages you have to take your stuff through. Yeah. He's really cool. Tr uh, Trump, Chris, Chris Trump, I believe his name is. Um, he goes into a lot of detail about that. But yeah, any of the ferments, man. Um, lactobacillus is really good for, for your garden, and you get that through the fermentation process. But it doesn't have to be like Bokashi. It could be like, you know, you could, or it, maybe if that's a method, then yes, you could use the Bokashi method to, to transport your microbes. You could use any method. A any method that gets microbes into, your system, into the system, you can use it. If that's buying, you know, mammoth pea or, or just running the microbes that are on the leaves, because Every the microbes are everywhere, man. They're everywhere. It's a, it's literally a build it and they will come situation. Um, one of the the micro or one of the fungi that, that plants really like is um, the bane of, of mushroom growers. And um, I'm having a brain fade. Sorry, I've been up since real early. Uh, anyway, it's um, trichoderma, and and plants love it. It, it works really well with plants, but uh it consumes other funguses. So mushroom growers hate it and it's everywhere. So it's not a matter of like, you have to clean your area. You have to make sure your area is sterile or you're going to get this contaminant because it's everywhere. So that, that's true with a lot of the microbes that we're trying to get with our soil. You know, um, you can introduce them any way you want. Uh, it's, um, these are, are your, the system runs off of the principle of, aerobic or the, the, the aerobic side so if you start putting the um, anaerobes in they're going to die but they're going to feed the other microorganisms and the system but they wouldn't be if you're introducing an aerobe into an um, oxygenated environment it's going to or an anaerobe into an oxygenated environment it's going to die so in, in the death they can feed it but um the system's going to select towards the uh, oxygen lovers. So, um, what kind of uh, mycelium do our mushrooms do you suggest grow with cannabis? Is there anything that uh, that you can coincide with your grow in your pots? that uh, will help in the long run break things down that aren't being used now or uh, kind of getting rid of things that may be too much of in the pot? Hmm. That's an interesting, uh, that's a really interesting question. And um, I, I use, uh, like I said, I like the, the trichoderma. Um, 
it's easy to really easy, easy, easy to get a hold of. Um, but I do go out and look like uh, this last this last one I did. I it just so happened it coincided with the right time of year, and um, I went out. I picked some wine caps, uh, harvested some wine wine cap mycelium, um, and I also put in some oyster mushroom mycelium, and um, I let it do its thing. I didn't get any wine caps that popped up. Um, I might, but um, I haven't gotten any out. I haven't harvested any any mushrooms. But uh, coprinesis are, are really, really nice too. Um, not so much for eating them, but um, they're really, really good at breaking down wood chips and they break them down really, really fast. They grow really, really fast. So um, th those are good too. Um, if you're getting into complicated, uh, like complex structures, substructures and whatnot, or with your like your, your base carbon source, um, like your, your the harder woods and um, uh, or like pine, even uh, things that are a lot of mushrooms don't like uh, your turkey tail, primates versus uh, colors. They like those. Um, so you can break down a lot of things that you can't break down with other things with that. It, it, primates versus color can or turkey tails. They can decompose just about any tree. They're, they're really awesome. They're real slow, though. Real, real slow. No, I guess that's what you got to do. You got to figure out what what. What are you looking for? Because you need a diverse community in your system, right? And your system needs to go through these transitional periods. So I guess if you're running something like with cannabis, you probably want something that's going to work well with it. So the trichoderma is going to work really, really good with it. It's really easy to get. And, um, you know, some, some oyster mushrooms, uh, they're a little bit, they, they, they're almost, they're slightly carnivorous. So they can... They, they can use their little mycelial threads to uh, basically lasso nematodes and whatnot and consume them. So they're beneficial to grow with your cannabis. Um, if you have a weak cannabis plant, though, if you, you have, you know, that's, that's a problem. You know what I mean? So if you like, if you're, if you, if your system's not healthy and you think, oh, I'm going to throw some mushroom into this and it's going to make it better. It probably won't have that effect right away. You know, it's, it, chances are if your plant's really sick, you might not get the results you're looking for. So fungus are one of those things that, you know, stick with the trichoderma. It's, it's pretty safe and it's really easy to, to use. It's everywhere. Well, when I think about a lot of these things that we're talking about tonight, I, I think more of uh, a bed uh, growing or a multiple run pot. Uh, so mm -hmm. is that uh, basically how you see your system is more of a, a mini bed or a multi run system, basically, where you're not dumping it out at the end? Yeah, exactly. Harvesting the plant and replanting right right back in that medium kind of pretty, ever, pretty much ever run just, system yeah pretty much you never you don't take uh you don't in if there's a problem you got to correct a problem of course but um ideally you don't have a problem if you, you manage it properly um i've grown a, a, a whole year well just shy of it just shy a year because um it the way it, it worked out but straight and uh, the soil's still growing thing um, it's almost a, a, a straight year now, uh, no change. 
only I did amendments, a little extra, some extra amendments once. And um, add carbon and, um, you know, I bring it through a cycle and it does its thing. And um, it, it produces just fine. You know, so that's number, that's a whole year. It had a total of five plants that grew in it. And everything's still growing real well. Um, you know, uh, I, I'm going to be going on vacation. So everything's kind of not on right now. So, um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm sure if I popped a seed in it now and flipped it all on, it would, it would kick off. Of course you want to amend it. You know, you want to give it some, you know, the your organic nutrient blends, whatever, whatever they are, whatever you use. But, um, yeah, that's it. Just, you can top dress it. You can dig out a little void, mix it in. However you want to add your, add it you know, to the soil, it's fine, but you never have to dump it out. Right. And, uh, when you bring it down through the, uh, when you bring it down through the, the anaerobic side, you're, you're going to, a lot of those roots and stuff will break down when you bring it back up, you know, that's a huge carbon sink. It's a, a lot of everything that cannabis is made out of digested and, and put back in. If you don't go through the cycle though, that this is the caveat. Once things wake up, you have to put them back to sleep, right? So if the dragon wakes up, you got to put it back to sleep or kill it. Um, and in killing it, that would be, be removing the soil and starting over. If you're going to put it back to sleep, you just need to move it through the, uh, into a phase that it cannot live or thrive. And when you do that, it will either die or it will go back into like a, 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 a cyst form or, or like a spore form or, or some sort of tiny, you know, a, a way for it to, to be able to, to survive in the environment that it can't survive in. So that's the trick. If you, if you want to reuse your soil and your soil is sick, just take it through to the opposite extreme and it'll put it back to sleep. Um, there's a there's techniques that you can use in um, growing mushrooms that you, you use you submerge your substrate in water and you leave it there for you know four or five days and uh, then you dump it out on a tarp let the air get to it and then you can inoculate uh, inoculate it and it, it gets rid of a lot of the other uh, competition so it, it's something that it's done um, in other you know, other, other types of growing practices, uh, people use that method um, for sanit uh, basic sterilizing. It's not really sterilizing, but it's, it's a type of bulk sterilization process for, you know, cleaning your straw up so you can uh, mix it, grow some mushrooms. Um, and I think it transitions over to um, the plant world, especially reusing our potting soil um, the problem is there's really no system that is designed to take it back to that system, uh, back to the cycle. And, uh, that's where, you know, this system kind of comes in It lets you, it lets, it lets you take it to a, a very actively aerated zone and back into a, a not so aerated zone. And, uh, you, you get that succession of species of the bacterial population.
Can you, uh, what's the best way to use uh, spent mushroom cakes? Uh, is it uh, to kind of mix them into the soil or kind of maybe uh, mulch with them? Crush them up into a mulch. Man, I, as like kind of a mulch. It, you want to like, so if you're, if you take, if you have just like a, a block of spent grain, I would, I would want to be feeding that to my worms, you know, um, yeah. and then taking that, let, letting it compost or, or break down either through vermicompost or, you know, an outdoor, uh, outdoor compost bed. Uh, with my mushroom blocks, I throw them in my wood chips, um, my big wood chips pile, and I just let them inoculate the wood chips and help break it down. Um, but I don't put, like straight bulk substrate into my system. Um, I, I might take a couple grains of, uh, of, of something that, uh, you know, of the substrate and maybe do some liquid culture with it. Uh, that would be better. You'd have better chance of it penetrating the soil profile and actually working. If you just drizzle some grains on the surface, uh, they're probably not gonna take Thank you for sharing the knowledge. Um, so with the mist, is heat an issue? Uh, does it heat up or is it time? Oh, to so that's a, that's a really does good thing. That's a, that's a good point. Yes. Uh, so heat, uh, these, the atomizer does produce heat. So it's about frequency, right? Your it's how long is it on to the volume of water that you're using? Right. And that's how you can easily adjust the temperature. It puts out enough mist that it doesn't need to be on for a long duration. So like if you ran your atomizer for 15 minutes every hour, you would have capacity soaked soil all the time with perfect aeration. Okay. You, you don't want that all the time. You, you want things to, to change. You want these, you, you want to mimic nature. Nature's not perfect all the time. So you, you, at different stages of the plant growth, you need to dial it into what the plant wants. So like, for instance, if you're running a seedling seeds, you put seeds in it, it might be beneficial to run the uh, atomizer a little longer to create a nice warm blanket of mist that comes up through the soil profile. That'll increase the microbial colonies and it'll increase the temperature of the soil, but the temperature of the soil doesn't get you know, incredibly hot, it, it can, it can warm up, but it doesn't get like super hot. But if you just run it 30 minutes, six, every six hours, there's no heat issue because by the time the water is warmed up at all, it's shutting off. And, um, so yeah, uh, they do produce heat, but it's up to you to, you know, it, as a user, you got to understand how it, how it functions in that you have it on a timer so that it's putting out the mist. The airflow is running continuously. Uh, it, reach, it reaches a maximum capacity, the soil column does. Uh, the mist or, or the, the, the fogger shuts off because, you know, you have your timer. So it's set for 15 minutes, whatever. And then you just maintain it. You maintain the ratio that works best for you and your environment. You know, um, there are some really cool morphological uh, changes in the leaves I'd like to mention. So like uh, the size of stomatas, when I took the control and I looked at the size of the leaf stomata under the microscope, the one that was grown through the system, the stomata was bigger. So 
if anybody ever tries this system and uh, has a microscope, take a look at that and see, you know, if you do a control side by side and see if you get the same results. I don't know if it was a fluke. Um, like I said, my data pool is kind of short at the moment, limited. It sounds like this system would definitely work well with uh, a CO2 enriched room as well. Uh, Ooh. For sure. I... Lays a little bit of a, a, a bugger tonight. So, do you sell? Is the system up and running for sale now? I mean, how do they get a hold of you if they're interested? Okay, so uh, how do they I, go about testing it out if they're you know interested? Talk to me about this. Then. All right, so I'm uh, this system is not it's I, I'm not in production with it. Um, and this is uh, all right, so some. Some people have uh, different talent stacks, I suppose you might say. And um, I have my talent stack, but I, I'm weak when it comes to uh, the business side of things. Um, so I can, I, I make things, uh, I'll build them, manufacture myself, build my own prototypes, do all that kind of stuff. But when it comes to like making, putting all the pieces together for the business side, I'm having difficulty. And, um, you know, it, it takes money to make money. And, um, you know, so if somebody's interested in building one, I can walk them through how they can like a DI, uh, do it yourself kind of way. But I, I do, I am hopeful that sometime in the, the near future, some pieces that I'm working on will come together and I'll be able to start manufacturing. I'm, uh, kind of putting some molds together, um, to try to make my own versus, uh, having to spend the money that I don't have to get some manufactured. Well, I hope somebody uh, sees this and can uh, help you out with uh, making that dream come up. Uh, yeah. Oh, that was that would be awesome. But either way, um, I just like some people to grow some really good weed, and um, you know, maybe not have to use so many, uh, so much of the nutrients that we use, and uh, maybe not have to like depend on uh, other people. You know, like uh, not necessarily other people. It's great to depend on your neighbors and stuff and your friends. But, you know, these it, big ag is going to get into cannabis and they're going to screw it up like they screwed everything else up. And, um, you know, so it, it, I, I think that sharing information is great because it lets us as individuals be able to understand that uh, maybe some of the, the ways that people that we've always done it, it's not necessarily the best way. And maybe this is just a way. Maybe somebody else has a, a can can try it, and maybe they have a better idea uh, based on the same principles. Um, all I want is people to share the knowledge with each other and um, kind of make this happen. And uh, not just this, but but make uh, <laughs> they're talking food shortages and all that kind of stuff. Not to get all worried about that, but I mean, we we grow fucking weed. How hard is it to grow tomatoes or food? It's not. Um, you know. And um, that, that kind of the kind of skill sets that we have and the extra soil that we make 
could go into community garden really easy, but we can't do that because we put too many chemicals into our soil. Uh, a lot of growers do. And, um, you know, it's good that we do heavy metal testing and, you know, all that other stuff that they do. And there's starting to be a standard for all that. But, um, yeah, you know, just um, it's not I don't have any way to sell it to you. But uh, anybody who wanted to give me a donation to further the project, that'd be cool. But that's not what I'm about. Um, you know, I just want to share the knowledge and um, yeah, I'll, I'll keep pushing ahead and see what happens. Well, I hope it happens for you. But, uh, well, do you want to go a little bit deeper and uh, tell us on... Uh, basically how they could set one up for themselves to walk through the process of, uh, you know, actually, you know, setting one up for themselves or something like that, or you trying to keep that kind of under wraps. Uh, um, it's literally two components, man. You have us, you have your air pump, which is just your typical air pump that you're going to use for your, you know, normal, normal, people have when they do aquaponics or aeroponics or whatever, you know, the, the, just the normal size air pumps. Um, I don't recommend a brand, uh, just one that, that runs and is fairly quiet for your own sake. Um, then you need a bottom chamber. I use, uh, for my system, uh, for my prototype, I use, I've done a few different iterations of it. I found that 15 gallons works a hell of a lot better than five. Um, you get, you get better results. Um, plants are happier, bigger root bases, all that kind of stuff. But 15 gallons is a good size for a soil pot for it. And um, the basic thing you need is your, your uh, atomizer, your ultrasonic mister. That's what that is. And then your, your, so your air pump, then you need your chamber. So I use a 20 gallon trash can for the base. That's what I use for my reservoir. And then I use a, um, 30 gallon trash can for the top so that it's quite large and it doesn't go, it, it sits nice and snug. Throw a ring of uh, silicone caulk over the top, then cut that trash can off at the top of the uh, 20 gallon, you know? So it's kind of, it, it's kind of, you know, the trash can in the trash can and then cut off. Put holes in the bottom. Um, and uh, a screen is nice, uh, so your your soil don't go through. But you don't need to. You could just throw a couple handfuls of mulch over the top of your holes. I use half inch holes. I find that size works really well. Uh, I put the holes about, you know, about uh, roughly an inch apart, uh, no more than two inches. And um, that's about it. And uh, fill it up with your favorite organic soil mix. Turn on the pump. And uh, turn on the mister, let it reach uh, capacity, you know, to where it's it's completely saturated. And then that's that once it's completely saturated, now you can you dial it back to whatever your frequency that you'd like it to be at uh, for your targeted species. So if you're trying to have a growing something that likes bacterial rich, rich environments, you're going to be using the air only to move the water. Okay, so. Bacterial rich environment use air only to move the water. If you are wanting to have slightly fungal dominant soil or very fungal dominant soil, you're going to run the air more than you run the water. 
So the water's on, your pump's running. After the water shuts off, your pump's going to keep running. And you can keep it running all the time. I, I've ran it. I, I've ran uh, in one of my systems. I, I ran it like for three hours a day, the, the air. But I found that it didn't, there's no bother. It's not bothered by the air running all the time as long as it doesn't go dry. If your soil doesn't go dry, it's fine. And it can get, can get dry. When I say dry, I mean like bone dry where your leaves are, are wilting. Um, as long as you keep the, the frequency up to the mister goes on for 30 minutes a day, you can run that pump all day long. And um, then you're going to have a fungal dominant soil. Um, no, but that's it. Just bounce, uh, bounce back and forth between the extremes and you, you can grow anything you want. I appreciate you sharing, man. It's a, it's pretty, uh, interesting system for sure. So once it's cutting together like that, uh, are you just top watering? How are you refilling the reservoir? Uh, okay. So, between? so, um, I guess that is the other part, the float valve. Um, so you have a, a, just an external water source that's, um, it comes in. So here's your reservoir. If you have your external water source, you have your hose come in anywhere in here with your little float valve. And uh, that'll keep the water level right where you want it. Uh, like, I don't know, like 15 bucks or so. Probably less than that. But um, yeah, just a little float valve, mechanical float valve. They have small ones and um, it, it works really simple and your roots can't foul up your pump. Um, they're not going to get into your water intake. Um, they're not going to mess up your atomizer because it doesn't have a port. It's not, there's no mister. It's just a disc, a flat disc with no, no way for roots to get inside. So there's like no worries that you have to worry about once you put it together. Um, you know, as long as you have your, it, it calibrated where it missed, you know, these things have a depth, like you have to be, there's this little knob on it and the water has to be above the knob, but it can't be no more than like two and a half inches, three inches above the knob, or it can't go through the, it can't break the surface tension. It can't, it just doesn't work right. So, um, those are little things, but, um, you know, when you turn it on, it, it, it it, it, it just, it's kind of, you just plug it on, man, plug it in, put it, put your timers together and that's it. You don't, you don't have to worry about watering. You don't have to worry about, is it overwatered? Is it underwatered? Is what? Just do it. You know, saving stage, more water as it goes up and it starts to grow. You can reduce the water, bring flour, you know, even less water. And that's frequency, you know, not volume. So, so on a, I'm just curious here, and again, tell me shut the hell up. You won't do. Mm. <laughs> um, I think I might need a on drink. A large, on a larger system, yeah, get a drink, no problem. Uh, do you think that uh, could it be possible to like feed that mist through uh, some tubes through a bed? Maybe 
Uh-huh. Now, now you're it. thinking like an octopus. Okay. Yes, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. the um, that's what I'm uh, that's what the uh, new that's what the design I'm working on um, where I'm making the molds. Um, that's what that's how it's going to be set up. Um, it's going to be, you know, a, a box basically that you put your you could either put your pots on top of, or you can run your pots out. Um, it, yeah, you can move this, you can move the fog through a, a, a tube, like a six inch ducking, uh, duct, duct and, um, the, the air pressure can move too. It's a, there's a little bit of design deals. It's easier to build them on top. You know what I mean? So like, if you had like a four by four tent with a, a reservoir, uh, your reservoir could be like two by two by eight. And then you could put your your pots would the plant would be growing right on top of it um but yeah that's um that i like that i like the way you're thinking about that that's exactly the that would be the optimal modular in in uh design you know uh, i'm thinking uh i i i like to well i see things in my head kind of very visually uh when I take in information, I, when I, it's kind of funny. A lot of times when I'm doing the show, as people are talking, I'm actually, it kind of plays like a scene out in my head. But I, lately I've been kind of uh, listening to uh, people talk about like Hugel systems and shit like that. So could, could you almost design like a bed with this setup with the mist? with uh almost like a hugo setup type in with mine but with the tubes say like an yeah. irrigated the flex tubes just kind of like throw it in there like all twisty not laid in there like any kind of pattern just like crumbled and twisted like a pile of like logs and then just kind of dirt on top of it let's let that fog like kind of wick out let things just kind of happen in the area so have you heard of a uh, johnson sue bioreactor that's what that's a fancy yeah. name they got it. you have it so it's basically a compost or it's for composting not necessarily hugel but it, it bear with me for a second but what he did is he took this four by four by four uh pig pig fencing i think they call it they fill it up with your mulch and all that kind of stuff. And then you put tubes every foot. And uh, it allows aeration. So it allows for fungal dominance and this decomposition. So you can take like a whole bunch of wood chips or cow manure and whatever. Mix up, mix up the right ratios with all that. Throw it in there. And in a year, you'll have perfect soil. Right. That's the or perfect compost. Um, that's like the basic rundown how it works. But the whole key to their system is the holes add aeration. So yes, if you were to, to take a Hugo culture, which is a bed, which is high carbon, right? It's supposed to be there for a long time, break down slowly. You threw that in there, your Hugo culture would break down a lot faster, but your ground would be more productive. That would be my, that's what I would think. But yeah, I think that would, I think you could totally do it. I don't think it would have to necessarily be a whole bunch of jumbled pipes. It could just be 
a straight run because remember the air has to be pressurized in order to to go where you want it you have to have a a non-compressible cylinder or, or container for the air to be in until it gets to where you want it and then you can distribute it into the the soil so imagine a hugel bed with a six inch pipe pressurized with mist in it and then you have those little holes where the mist can come up and you're not talking you know you're talking cycling the air in that hugel bed like how long does it take for that much air to move through to replace all the, vo the volume of air um that's it. The, the faster it replaces, the faster the biology is going to take. And I don't think it's it's not like a straight line, Kurt, you know, kind of just doesn't keep expanding. I'm sure there's some sort of bell curve on it. But um, yeah, man, I, I like how you're going with that. That would work man, awesome. It's a, you know, I, I greatly uh, think the organics were coming in my life again smiley for sure smiley's was a great you know, a meet in in general but him kind of bringing organics back into my world uh i'm very grateful for man uh this it's a it's a deep dive and it uh directly uh man cultivates you as you dig deeper into what's going on in the soil it you kind of uh, relate what's going on there with you in a lot of ways, <laughs> a lot of like yeah. Buddhist like teachings in the, in the organics and what's going on there. Uh, a lot of mindfulness in the soil. So that's man. That is. It, it has to be that way. I mean, if you think about it, we just we we've recently developed, and we're talking, you know, hundreds of years, but. We've, we've developed a language nowadays that we can communicate with and we can talk about these things in a very technical sense. And it is, it requires so much work to learn the terms, the words, and all that kind of stuff that the concepts just kind of like get real fuzzy. But it doesn't matter what word you use, as long as you can picture the process and you can understand the, the simplest forms of it that's all you that's it and then the rest is observation so you know that some some bugs like some of the things the invisible creatures that we're trying to get around you know you call them whatever you want some of them like air some of them don't and you can really break gardening down into those kind of simple concepts man and um you know it, it it's cool man all the mythos and all, all the mythology that is, is whatever it's been around for, for a long, long time, you know, offer offering, uh, you know, offerings to the spirit so that your garden grows good and all that kind of stuff. You know, there's, there's maybe there's little grains of truth to them. You know, maybe maybe it's more about, you know, you got to feed your garden, and then over time it gets turned into, you know, something else. But um, the, the have you ever heard of soil the the soil petra in um the Amazon basin? It's that, uh, or Terra Petra, they call it, Terra Petra. Tell me, tell me about it. So it's like this, this area of land that is, when it's all combined, it's about the size of France. It's, it's a lot of land. And it measures on average several meters deep. And it's like really super healthy soil. And um, 
it was made by man over the eons and uh, was it intentional or was it you know refuse piles i guess it depends who you're talking to but for it to be the size of france and be extremely fertile i tend to think there's a little bit of intent behind it probably a lot of intent so that means they had to have an understanding of what this stuff was and and how it worked and um there were they found uh clay jars in in the soil profile um shards of pottery and whatnot that that kind of leads to claims that it was perhaps um a trash you know just over the eons of, of people living in the area throwing their trash there but um it, that's quickly become debunked there, there's a whole lot of beautiful rich species of soil organisms that live there it's some of the most fertile soil that was ever made and um there's layers of of of, of char in it there's layers of just all kinds of good organic material that these people willfully built and made up over time at least that's how it seems and it's just fantastic soil but that's because people got together and worked it they made it happen and they did it in a way that we don't quite understand how they did it now right so we're limited by our our what we know and our, our communication and our under what we can understand we're limited by all that but we're also limited our understanding of the past is limited by what we know. And since nobody wrote it down and we weren't there to see it, it's left to the imagination, you know? Um, yeah, we can get some really good clues, but we don't know how they did it. So that tells me something was lost, you know? Um, so maybe at some point in time, we had this shit figured out and we understood it in a different level. Maybe we didn't know the molecular level, but you don't need to explain this shit at the molecular level to get people to understand it and for it to work you know um it's all about relationship and the, the interpersonal relationships that people have and, and the conflicts that we have all those are reflected in the soil between the different organisms you know it's all the same it is imp pretty impressive what you just said there uh because from what my understanding is um i was just got done uh, with a book called Dirt. This was a good book. Um, and they were basically talking about uh, before, I believe it was like 1860, when they, they first kind of invented uh, the microscope. Uh, they didn't understand uh, what they couldn't see, what was going on in the soil. So uh, it was basically a mystery what was happening there. It wasn't until the invention of the microscope and what they, you know, could actually see what was going on there, the mustelium and all that, uh, that they really began to understand and try to mindfully work the soil at that point. So it's kind of funny that, you, you know, you bring up that uh, the ancient way of understanding you know, obviously they knew something was going on at that point. You know what I mean? Pre yeah, they had to, man. Yeah. And then uh, ancient Ved uh, some here, there's a Vedic method um, of cultivating organisms for your soil. It, 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 now, I might have the details a little bit wrong, so just allow me to have a little artistic uh, flair here, but 
Anyway, basically you take a cow horn and you fill it up with milk and soil and you put a lid on it and the lid is it typically, you know, like some wax cloth or wax le oiled leather. And uh, they'd wrap a, a string around and fasten it to that cow horn. Then they would bury it in the ground for a year. Then they would take that and they would mix it up uh, with uh, something else. And then they would spread it over their, their uh, where they were going to farm. And uh, it inoculated their soil. But I mean, how do you, how do you like, how do you put those pieces together? We, we don't, they understood fermentation, but they did, you know, they made beer, right? Right. The ancients made beer, made, you know, started distilling and stuff. And that was before they understood all the, the details. So they were, we think we're all smart and clever, but we're no different than they were. We just have cooler toys and um, a better library. And I think you're right on the right scale there. I think they may have uh, stumbled on the process without knowing, just trying to survive uh, through food. You know what I mean? Trying to just preserve their food. You know, this didn't work and they just threw it out. And they went, holy shit, man. That, that pile where we just dumped that shit out really fucking grew. Maybe we should do that again. If Everybody you bring your it, shit. <laughs> yeah. We keep fucking doing this. It, yeah, yeah, man. I don't know. However it worked, <laughs> they did it. And it was through observation. And um, a lot of us read books and forums and ask questions. And look at your dirt. You know, look at your dirt. Get a micro. Get a microscope. Like I, I know it's it's kind of like, oh, I'll never use it, but get a microscope and look at your dirt. Even if you only do it every now and then, you'll you'll see things that that you'll be like, holy shit. Or if you don't see things, you better be saying holy shit because you should be seeing things. You know, lots of things. Uh, that's what I, I I have three favorite tools for the garden. One is a microscope. The other is a an air pump, and uh, that uh the the mister the ultrasonic mister. Those are my three favorite tools. I'm far from a microscope. I can tell you that. Well, um, they're cheap, another... man. They're cheap. Yeah, Gotta get one. Yeah, yeah. Not sooner or later. Sooner or later, I'll get there. I got a few more doors to open up in the, in the organics uh, wormhole before I get to that microscope. Another kind of like just side event, and I've kind of told this story as I've uh, finished up this book, is when uh, that cat, when he uh, invented the microscope, he was so fascinated with what was going on uh, in the soil with the mycology and everything that was going on. He, uh, he applied it to uh, knowledge or uh, that knowledge to wine. And basically what he, uh, he could tell what was wrong with the wine, good or bad, based on uh, the, the mycology, what was going on in the slide. So he could, and they would try to trick him, you know, because he would do it all without taste, all the judging without taste, just with the microscope. And he was always spot on. But uh, 
Uh, I thought that was cool that they was in that's a, he took it to that sick, level. Man. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that that's a master of the microscope, man. Wow. And that was like with wine testing, he could tell the best vintage of wine based on his microscope work. Yeah, or or de- or tell shit. them tell them what was wrong with the batch. You know, good, bad, whatever, all through the microscope. Oh, shit. It's a pretty good wow, book, man. man. I really suggest it. Uh, dirt. Uh, so, it, what have what have where have you gotten some of the knowledge sources? Uh, that you've looked through to get to where you are. Some books. Uh, yeah. Um, so, so um, Paul Stamets was uh, for, for as far as mushrooms go, um, he's got an imagination and he's not afraid to think outside of the box. He's not afraid to like postulate pos- uh, possibilities that are not accepted in mainstream. And um, he's directionally right, oftentimes, and that's good enough for me, you know. Um, that it's, I, I like hardcore data. I like real facts and stuff. But um, if we don't have a good image or a, a a good way to convey it, we can't quite prove something. It's okay as long as we can replicate the results. That's all that matters, you know. I, I don't have to be right that these mushrooms are talking to each other, but um, maybe they are. Um, so Paul Stamets, uh, he played a, a big part in, in my understanding of uh, how ecosystems work together and uh, the synergistic effect. And then Elaine Egham, um, she's, uh, she put together like everything that was suspected, like <clears throat> what the soil food web was. We all knew a lot of people that were into soil knew that it existed. You know, soil nerds knew that, knew that these organisms worked together, but she really started to um, get a handle on that and understanding which microbes were doing what kind of things and, and, and proving that. And then um, Dr. White, uh, Dr. James White, um, his work on the rhizophagy cycle is amazing. Absolutely amazing. Um, if you get a chance to talk to that man, pick his brain because he is uh, he has information that 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 he like you know how when you know something, it's not real, you know, you tell somebody something like, wow, that was kind of cool, but to you, you just you knew it, so you didn't even think it was that you didn't need to know it, like you didn't know that other people didn't know what kind of thing. Well, that man is full of that kind of information. He's full of things that that we don't know we don't know and uh he's on the cutting edge of of research and um i I highly recommend him but uh, those are those are some of the the big influences um other than family um my dad um he's a huge influence in my decision to uh you know for gardening um he grew incredible vegetables um worked you know did different different methods but he was always, it, it, in my mind as a kid, he was always like pushing the pushing the envelope. Uh, this place we lived in, Rialto, he grew the biggest sunflowers I'd ever seen. He grew these giant tomatoes. And um, 
then, then this other place we lived, he, he grew these giant squashes and uh, tomatoes again. He was like a master of tomatoes. And uh, the thing that always got me about him is he never settled. It was never, it was never, hey, you know, um, this is the best. He's like, oh, it's pretty good, but, oh, it's pretty good, but, you know, I can improve this. And then, I, you know, that kind of an influence, it, it, it stuck with me a little bit and, uh, you know, made me be a little, like, he's very self-reliant too. So, you know, looking into things, um, this was before the time of the internet, but if there was a question, he'd be at the library for hours and hours digging into, we found it, you know, and that's the kind of, that's what it required. You know, if you wanted to learn your stuff nowadays, we have it easy. It's all in our hands. We have these God boxes, you know, and we just ask them questions and they tell us the answers. And, um, so, he, but he played a good, uh, a good, a big influence in my life. And then my uncle, um, he grew, he was into gardens and whatnot and uh, real into mushrooms and uh, mycology and then uh, real into plants and cannabis uh, specifically. And um, you know, he shared a lot of information to me. And uh, when I was a kid, he told me about this method that they used. He said that the old timers used to get, um, like if you had a pest that was bothering your plants, get as much of that pest as you can, put them in a blender and then spray your plants with the juice. And, uh, you know, there was, um, I thought that was kind of like weird. And um, I looked into it a little bit. And there's a little bit of logic to it. I mean, it's kind of random. You know, you're not really, it's not scientific in the sense that it's, it's not real controllable. But the law of averages being what they are in a given population is going to be sick individuals. And the key is, is to spread that sickness to as many of the other fuckers as you can. So by putting the bugs in a blender, like smashing them up, you're taking that bacteria, that fungus or that virus or whatever it is. And if it can be transmitted through contact, surface contact, you're increasing the odds of that infection spreading. And um, I thought that was fascinating. That uh, these guys are, these old timers are brewing up bugs to kill other bugs. And um, that really, like, it kicked my brain. It, like, it's a lens that when you put those glasses on, now you can see the world in a different way. And uh, that was one of the lenses for me that um, kind of made me realize that, holy shit, nature really takes care of itself. It's, it can do everything we want. It grows the best weed. It grows the best plants. All we got to do is just budge with uh, basic variables, you know, that not we don't have to add or go through, jump through hoops, man. We don't need to be jumping through giant hoops. The soil has what it needs. If we add the carbon and life to it, um, it's going to the majority of the soil is going to be fine. It's going to be healthy. It, what you said just makes sense. And again, let me play it back to you in my visual mind. <laughs> so um, I think it, it is kind of nature's way kind of going on with what you said about blind uh, gathering um, as many of them up and grinding them up. Basically what I see and envision in my head is um, hormones and shit like that. Uh, basically when you cut the grass you know, uh, that scent you smell is 
terpenes worn in the other grass, but that uh, the mower's coming. So, and again, we're trying <laughs> to get the bugs. I think they could be putting off something that terrifies the rest of the bugs <laughs> that you're spraying. My holy shit, that's coming. Death is coming. Or that's the, awesome. the same way when you, you know, the way you put out an animal, you necessarily, you know, that stress carries out in the meat. So I think yeah, when, yeah. as they're being, you know, slaughtered up, they are, they're secreting <laughs> some type of hormone. Of, holy shit. You know what I mean? That you're spraying out there that, yeah, wards off the rest of them. We don't want none of that shit. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's the best take. You're probably right, man. <laughs> That's hilarious. Fucking A. Help. But you know that that okay. happens in nature too with fucking plants, right? So, like, uh, what was it? These plants they, they, in Africa, there was this plant that was getting eaten. But they didn't realize that it was the plant killing these fucking gazelles. These gazelles were going through eating this fucking plant. And then they would go eat the, the, the same plant. They ate it yesterday, but now they eat it today, and it's fucking killing them. And uh, so these wildlife bio biologists go out there, and they're trying to figure out what the fuck's going on. You know? So they, uh, <clears throat> they, they're doing some studies. And they found out that the plant, changed its chemistry within a few days of being grazed on and um so what they came to realize and I, I don't know all the details other than the fact that the plant when it was being eaten released some sort of a chemical marker like you're talking about and it uh notified the other plants that there is a grazer there's grazers and through some sort of quorum sensing they were able to discover the plants discovered collectively that hey, we need to change our uh, our our toxin levels, and they amped them up, started producing more toxic compounds, and uh, killed the herded gazelles. So, uh, there's definitely scientific evidence that supports your opinion, man, <laughs> or your your visual mind, anyway. <laughs> so uh, we. I heard you kind of mention earlier, uh, you kind of thought uh, the soil, the rhizosphere was kind of responsible for uh, terpene profiles. So do you think that uh, plants grown close to uh, whatever you're trying to grow, say cannabis, oh. direct, do you think they influence the terpene pro profile through the soil, or is it above or below the influence? Okay, so the question. fungus, fungus help with uh, they do help the the transfer of gases and fluids through soil. Fungus do do that, so they do help with the soil aeration. It is the aeration, the presence of atmospheric gases, that increases the uh the terpene profile i don't know if it's due to the bacterial counts or if it's due to the fact that the phosphorus and potassium are are better regulate are upregulated into the plant so that they can go through the they can make all the enzymes that are required to produce these flavonoids and terpenes and all that kind of stuff um I, i'm not sure which one does what but i know that 
a well aerated soil is going to house a lot of fungi. So it might be a compound in funguses, or it might be some sort of compound found in, in, in bacteria. Bac uh, bacteria. Um, we, Dr. Uh, James White has uh, some evidence that seems to indicate that the uh, trichrome formation, um, trichromes, like they're not just a, a, a plant substance, they're actually exuding microbes through the, the formation of the trichromes. And so the, tri the, the bacteria are in the trichromes along with the other things. And, and it's interesting because why does the plant do that? What changes it? What, what changes the, the, the terpene profile? You know, um, is it the bacteria or is it the, the enzymes that the plant can access because of the bacteria? If it's the enzyme production, then it's directly related to its, uh, uh, its uh, potassium and phosphorus uptakes. That's what's going to be your most regulated, you know, that's what's going to totally dictate the way your plant can process uh, or the way your plant can process the all the everything that's necessary to make the damn um, uh, amino acids, you know, and uh, all those enzymes. Definitely, uh, so much going on there in the soil that uh, it'll take me quite some time to fully understand what's going on. There. And so if you think you know, about, I, go ahead. I, so they they're kind of they're somewhat talking about in chat uh, the Kyle Cushman uh, strawberry golf thing. And I guess they're basically kind of wondering, like we are, we're talking here, is are those turds, can they be exchanged through the soil, through something like that, fruit dropping and rotting in the soil to be an uptake through the plant? All right. I mean, so, there's stuff that we add to our plants artificially, you know what I mean? Sweeteners with flavor in them that we can notice in our cannabis plants. So why can't a rotting fruit or a, a, a fermented juice, you know what I mean, be influenced yeah. the soil. Yeah, yeah. That, that's, uh, that's real interesting. Um, so my pops, he said that he was growing one time. And uh, he was growing out in uh, this real, it, it's in California and there's a lot of sagebrush, right? And um, it has a, a very unique smell in when the rain falls and all that kind of stuff. Like, it, it, it's real unique. It's a like a childhood memory. And um, he was telling me that one, one time he did a grow and he, he picked the spot that had, was like just everything was really nice, growing real well uh, for the kind of environment. You know, everything that lived in the environment was doing well. And he planted his plants there. And he said that the plants picked on the smell of the area. And he noticed that throughout all of his outdoor grows, that if he planted a plant close to other vegetation that had strong smells, that the plants would pick up like a, a flavor. And it wasn't necessarily the identical flavor or the identical smell, but there's hints of it. Like, you know, like if you flavor a drink and you could taste the notes of vanilla or you could taste the notes of cherry. It's like that kind of thing. Um, so I don't know. I, I I have no like 
hard knowledge on that uh, or hard data on that. Um, I don't know if anyone really does, but I, I do have some opinions. Um, I think it's a combination. Um, aeration is super important. That's going to increase your bacterial counts. It's going to increase your fungal counts. And it's also going to increase the processing of enzymes. So none of those, if, if it's bacterial related or it's fungal related or it's enzyme related, none of those processes are going to happen without proper aeration and proper moisture. So, you know, those are the, the two factors that are going to really control your soil biology. It doesn't have to do with all your, you know, with anything fancy. It's as simple as air and water. Uh, the carbon is simple. It's everywhere, you know. Um, and if you add those things that this process happens, um, you, you will get an increased in terpene smell. You, you have a better, you have healthy soil, your weed's going to be better. You have a sick plant, it's not going to be as good. You know, that's just the way it is. You, you grow clones after a couple cycles, you're like, fuck, I fucked up. You know, the, the cycle sucks. I got, I, I, I let my plants go. I overwater them, I underwater, whatever. Now I've got a mold. <laughs> <clears throat> excuse me now i've got some sort of a a fungus issue or a mold issue or or some other type of issue that is killing my plant it, it's showing up you know got bud rot why did this happen it's not because you introduced it it's because it was there and you created the conditions for it to be able to start and that's that's what it all comes down to is the conditions build it and they will come Put out a petri dish and watch what happens. It just fills up with life. It, they're everywhere. So you have to create the conditions that the ones that you want to thrive, the ones that the plant needs to thrive can thrive. And it's, it's all about saturation and air. And that is about as simple as it can get. Good advice, good advice. And I think that's uh, what you said there is kind of true from what I've understood about the regenerative kind of mindset with growing. Uh, basically, kind of leave it alone and uh, let it uh, even out. Uh, it, from what I understand, when you're first starting off like an in general uh, regenerative farm, your problems are going to come in waves. You know what I mean? Like oh, uh, yeah. pest problems, but nature will, other pests will come to kind of equal that out, you know, in time, you know, hunt them down and it will equal out in time the longer the regenerative farm goes, it will stabilize out in time. Like it's kind of what you just said there uh, about environment there, the feature just what, whatever will has the opportunity to survive there will whatever will flourish, absolutely flourish. And, and and the plant it's in the plant's best interest to help to give the guy the the the, the team that it wants to win to give them the edge see it's kind of like plants are like insider traders you know they want a specific outcome so they give the right signals to the right bacteria to do the right things that increase their portfolio. Uh, you can kind of look at it like that. You can, you know, uh, you can look at them also as uh, plants are, are tricksters. They like to trick the bacteria to do all the work for them because they're lazy. 
and all they want to do is lounge in the sun all day. And that works too. Um, you know, there, there's a million ways to visualize this process because it, it's so simple. It's so relatable. It's so real. Think about friendship. Okay. There's some friends that you have that get you into trouble. There's some friends that you have that success seems to follow them everywhere they go. And when you're around them, success seems to follow you. There's some friends that, you know, they're going to bring you down every time you're around them. It's something depressing. They're going to tell you something depressing. And you can guarantee that that's what's going to happen. Well, if you surround yourself with only depressing people, you'll be depressed. If you surround yourself with only, you know, upbeat people, you'll be more upbeat. It, there, there's, we're the same way. The plant, given the optimal environment, will signal for all the friendships that it wants, all that it needs, and it will get them if the food sources for these things to exist are present. The plant does most of the work for us. It, it produces a shit ton of sugars to, to live, right? It goes, through, it goes through the whole photosynthesis process. And 30% or so of the exudate or the sugars that it makes, it releases into the uh, soil. That's a huge fucking investment. If you took 30% of everything you made and invested it into something, that's a huge chunk of change you're putting out. A lot of your effort, a lot of your time. So, <coughs> excuse me, if you look at the plant as an investor, the plant has, it has an inside track on what's going to happen. It knows that if it does this, it's going to get a benefit. Every now and then it doesn't get a benefit. And the reason why it doesn't get a benefit is because the soil profile is not proper for the plant to exist. That's aeration, soil saturation. Now, when it, when those two factors are good, it can stack the deck because it has enough natural enzymes. It has enough abilities within itself to neutralize harmful pathogenic bacteria, harmful pathogenic fungi. It can do that, but it has to be healthy. And if it can't breathe, it can't be healthy. If it can't drink water, it can't be healthy. It doesn't have access to the nutrients that it needs on a base level, the nine realms, so to speak. It's not going to be healthy. It's going to be separate. So you can think of it like this. Think of a, a somebody like somebody who had a racehorse. Let's just use a racehorse, for example. It has all the genetic potential. It's been bred from two triple crown winners. It's ready to go like badass horse. But you feed it shit. It's not going to develop. You don't exercise it. It's not going to develop, right? So how can we convert that same kind of philosophy to a plant? A plant exercises. It really does. How does it do it? Well, it does it through respiration. And it, its respiration is dependent on its environment and its ability to, to, to access nutrients to grow. If you increase respiration in a human, right, like, like through sports, say, say you're running and you hit that level of, uh, of exercise where you have to breathe harder and you're bringing it, breathing in this oxygen and you're, you're making your muscles grow and you're doing all these things. Plants do the same kind of thing, but they do it just a little bit differently. 
their exercise is dependent on the environment around them. So when the conditions are right, cellular respiration goes up, cellular production goes up. All of these processes go up because the respiration has went up. The, the, the ability for the microbes around it has increased. So they're increasing more exudates, more nutrients. As that occurs, the plant can now take up and process more of these nutrients. And it's dependent always on soil aeration and saturation ratios. And that's, that's, what, that's how you make a plant exercise. You push a plant through its ability to breathe and the amount of moisture you can give it. Then all the secondary nutrients that you give it work because the primary nutrients that plants need is hydrogen, oxygen, nitrogen, and carbon. Those are the primary nutrients. Those are the primary gases that makes life function. So that's the basic, basic theory behind it. How long in the day, how long per day can you exercise um, at a, like a, I don't, I don't know. Athlete's pace. I don't know. Um, I think it depends on the phase of growth for plants because um so like during the seedling stage that's when it's kind of like when a baby is in vitro so imagine if your baby like a a, a pregnant lady goes through a famine it's going to affect the child right well with gene transfer to seedling, that could be an analogy, but it could also be an analogy of the seedling stage, right? So the, the female's in famine, the fetus is growing. It's not going to get all the, the female, the, the, the mother is not going to have all the nutrition necessary for enzyme formation to occur. The fetus will suffer, right? Well, the, the fetus, they're going to give it what it needs, but just for the, the sake of it, a very severely malnutrition mother will give birth to, you know, the, the increase for stillborn, all that stuff goes up. The same thing is true with, with plants at the seedling stage. So if you give a, if a plant at the seedling stage, you pop a seed and the environment isn't right, it's going to die. If the environment's right, but not perfect, but it's within the acceptable parameters. It's going to live, but it's going to perform poorly. And it might die due to pressures from the outside of molds, bacteria, viruses, et cetera. If you take that same woman and you feed her everything that she needs and she gives birth as she's pregnant, the fetus is going to get everything it needs. It's going to be born healthy. Well, the seedling, it requires, it, it has like, in the seedling stage, it's asleep. It hits the ground. Now it's the embryo. Now it's the fetus inside of the womb. And it is growing. And it, as it grows, it's going to push out its roots. And that's kind of like its different organs and all that kind of stuff starting to form in the leaves and stuff. And now this fetus, because it's fed perfectly and it has everything, it has the best chance to start its next phase of life. But it's, you know, 14 years old now. And it's in puberty and it's, you know, in, in plant years, that's like, you know, for cannabis, that's like, you know, day 21, day 25, 
it's starting to hit puberty where it's ready to have a big growth spurt become sexually mature right so now we we push it and, and we're trying to get it to grow but we're feeding it too much we're we're, we're feeding it for instance uh if we go into the blood cycle, we feed it too much. Uh, we feed a bunch of phosphorus. All of a sudden, we get magnesium locked out because magnesium is antagonistic, or phosphorus is antagonistic to magnesium. So you got to approach it differently because the 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 plant still needs that. So you have to give it to it, and that's how it is. But you can't give it to it in the soil because the the channels that are used to uptake magnesium, the phosphorus channels blocks it out it's that the, they use the same channels phosphorus will take precedence over that because it needs that mortar in the bud stage so the plant is going to mature at different levels so at different levels you've got to activate different enzymes seedling stage you better make sure the plant has everything it needs for maximum genetic expression vegetative stage super important for growth and productivity uh the budding stage super important for consistency and quality of crop. Like you got to change the environments along with the succession of the crop because the crop is changing. So how do you do that? Well, the crop in nature is going to show you when do seeds pop, rain comes, humidity levels jack up, soil saturation is up, which means what? Oxygen levels in the soil are up. The rain pushes it, it, it draws the oxygen into the soil profile. Then you move to the next phase. You got the vegetative growth. What is important? Well, during that time of year, you're going to have intermittent showers and a lot of sun. So we know that sunlight and we know that water is super important, as well as the base nutrients. We all know what these nutrients are. We know what they need at these different phases. And if you don't, there's a million charts online. But during the vegetative phase, the plant is focused on growing for maximum production. Because the more bud nodes that it can put out, the better its odds are of producing viable seed that are going to replicate and move the next generation forward. So you've got to make sure that it has all the nutrients at the right times, whatever. So during the veg state, you want to raise that up and down. You want a rainy season, a couple of days, and then it dries out a little bit. Rainy season, a couple of days, dries out a little bit. That's what happens in nature during that time period. Then later in the year, it's going to dry up. You're not going to have as much rain. That's typical until late season in some places. But if you look at the places where these cannabis, you know, where, where the cannabis strains are coming from, you can dial in the, your system, be it my system or, or, or the way I'm doing it or, or the way anyone else is doing it. You can dial the system in based on the climates that it comes from. But the climates is comes from is going to go in phases all the time. There's always going to be phases. And the plants have evolved to function within these phases. But we as growers like to keep consistency because humans like that. Plants don't. Plants like change. They like volatile changes. Plants, are, uh, plants have evolved to have people eat them, to have animals come across and eat the fresh tops as they grow. And every time that you do that with cannabis, this plant, you get more potential for more growth. So there's, there's all kinds of interconnected channels that these, these plants evolved with. And we as growers, we take them out of their natural niche. We bring them indoors and then we fucking baby and coddle them. And we think we're doing it well, but we're cutting off their fucking lifeline. 
we're cutting off the most the major nutrients that they need and uh i mean now we take that i'm, I'm being a little hyperbolic here you know but that's air and water uh, and it really is that simple Well, that uh, for sure. So that's definitely some good arguments for being in the soil. So do you, is the soil that responsive to what the plant's doing? Uh, basically, we were kind of talking about, you know, them working them kind of like an athlete. You know what I mean? Running right. them hard. Should we run them hard? Should we jog them? Is the soil in that responsive? So say in a day like period, uh, we've we're hitting them hard with light, you know, pushing them max CO two. Is the soil working that hard during that period and resting at the same time that the plants resting? Basically, is my question. Well, you're gonna have resting with plants resting. Okay, but. There's going to be different, um, let's call them clans of bacteria, right? So you're going to have like, like in nature, in, in the macro world that we can see, you've got your coyotes and your wolves, right? They're nocturnal, right? Coyotes are pretty much nocturnal all the way through. Wolves, I, I, they may be mixed, but uh, coyotes are definitely, they hunting at night. So we'll just use them. Or owls, owls are easier. We all know that happens. So owls are nocturnal. They hunt at night. A hawk is diurnal. It hunts in the day, right? So with bacteria, we have kind of the same thing. There's a type of bacteria called phototropic bacteria, and they actually take light and they produce, they use it as an energy source to go through their process. So they use light and carbon to make all the, the con constituents that they really need. And, and they will feed plants and they'll fill, feed other microbes through this, this process. So when your lights are run, running and you've got great aeration and you've got great light penetration, you're, you're gonna have, and it doesn't, now, now mind you, the soil microbes don't require the same quantity of light to thrive as your plant canopy, okay? So you're talking underneath your canopy is plenty of light for these microbes to photosynthesize. And they're gonna produce uh, a, a, a type of nutrient, uh, a nitrogen is for one, that they're going to be able to fix into the soil, make it plant available. And these are phototropic ba bacteria, right? Then you have chemiotropic bacteria, and they're working off of the chemicals, the, 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 the base chemicals. That's how they draw their energy. They have the ability to break and pull these different chemicals, the, these, let's call them metallic ions, in from different uh, energy sources, different sources, and then they convert those with the use of carbon. They just do it in reverse. They they convert those into these all these complicated chains. They they assemble them together into amino acids. So your chemiotrophs are they don't give a fuck what the plant's doing. Now those live in the anaerobic stage. Those those live in the anaerobic stage. So when you're trying to free up molecules for your plant, you can't just think about the now. You got to think about the future. So your sulfur, your iron, and all that kind of stuff, throw it in your anaerobic. That that you could throw your soil through the anaerobic phase, so you can start getting those things to come back into your soil. You know, but during the 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 growth stage where your plant is in the soil, 
the plant is going to provide and choose over time. Now, remember, it's always over time because nothing is immediate, but it's over time your plant will choose the microbiome that it needs. If you grow outside, you'll get that. You can get that and establish it over a few seasons, no problem. Growing in soil indoors makes it very difficult because we're constantly changing our growth medium. And you can't do that if you want a symbiosis to occur. It has to occur naturally. So you have to grow through a, go through a successional process to give the plant the most opportunity to become successional in nature, you know, to have those microbes have a, a successional type relationship with it. And, and, and that's what's important. That is, you know, to me, you really don't need to do that. I mean, you could go out and buy new soil every time. You can spend money on nutrients. You can grow bomb-ass wheat that way. We've all seen it happen. We've all seen it happen. One, it's not sustainable. Two, most cannabis users that I know claim to love the planet. So I think that we collectively can work towards limiting some of these outside inputs we need to by maximizing their efficiency within our system. And the one angle we're not looking at is air and water. We're looking at it, but we're looking at it through a, a fractal lens to where we can't see the pieces together. But I, um, the, the solution to, to aerating your roots at a high, at a, at a high rate is atomized water and uh that's that's the key and i'm I, you know that's what i've arrived to it, it, on my journey and um i really really hope that uh some individuals on this this channel can hear this and uh jump in on it man get get excited about it um if you do a side-by-side -side comparison or if you just are used to using this one method and you try this you'll see um the difference and uh, that's, that's what I want, you know, I want this interaction, this engagement so that we can be more like these soil organisms and come together and make something bigger than ourselves thrive. I love the way you think and a lot of people have said that very same uh, sentiment this evening uh, throughout this whole thing too. Uh, we lost your video. I'm probably low on battery. I'm yeah, I'm about dead, um, my friend. Ah, that's a bummer. But because uh, I believe we carry this conversation on for quite some time. But um, I did hear that you did have a long day as well. And uh, I don't want to overstate my welcome. Uh, what do you, unless, of course, you do have a plug or can plug it in, we can keep going. I'm uh... but, uh Let's see. I'm, that, I'm no fixing the, my sound will change, but I can do it. Give me a second. Can you hear me? I can hear you. All right. I have plugged in. All right. All right. We can carry on if you'd like. Um, I'm, I'm really, I drank some of my uh, can of whiskey and, uh, it got me feeling philosophical. So, so yeah, like we were talking about adding uh, mushrooms with the soil earlier. So, and you were kind of talking about uh, again as my visual thinking. Uh, as it rains, that's when you notice the bloom 
uh, throughout the yard, all the fruiting bodies that, you know, that's when shit happens. Boom. In an instant when uh, yes, they're sir. present. So would that not be like a, a huge benefit in our beds? You know what I mean? For when we water that extra push of oxygen through, you know, they, they would give to our uh, root zone there. Wouldn't, I cannot see that only being a benefit to our cannabis uh, pots. To be honest with you. Absolutely. It'd be a benefit. Together. Absolutely. It's the only way it could be. It could only be a benefit. Um, if you, if you take a, a, a look at, you know, that bloom cycle, you think about the amount of energy that the mushroom is devoting to that moment, right? It's, it's fucking, everything is perfect. So it's devoting all of the energy that it has to expand and gather new resources to reproducing, right? That moment in time is key to its life cycle, which means that its effect is going to be positive to plant effect simply by the, the symbiosis that happens. So if it's ready to reproduce, it's going to push these, it's going to produce a fruit, fruiting bodies. It's going to produce spores. It's going to release these spores. It's got to release them at the moment when the plant is ready to receive them. When is that? Sorry, my mic was off. I'm guessing uh, mid mid cycle, midday. It's uh, yeah, they will uh, they're ready. Well, it's as far as like life cycle time, like so. They're ready. So if you think about the spring rains come, April showers bring May flowers, kind of thing, right? So. In the spring, after the winter, because now, mind you, mycelium is growing in the snow, right? So if you have snow and ice, during that time period, the mycelium is able to grow in the cold temperatures. If you ever look at your refrigerator and you get moldy foods, you can see that. Mycelium don't mind the cold too much, right? So the, the, the tree of mycelium, because mycelium is the tree of the mushroom, so to speak. It's not the apple. It's not the fruiting body, it's the body of the fruit that produces the fruit. So you have this mycelium moving through the cycle and it can handle these cold temperatures. So it's functioning when the plants are asleep. When it produces fruit is when the body goes to sleep. So you need the mushrooms to move through the soil cycle and then slow down. Let the bacterial levels catch up. So that's what happens in the summer. The fungus dries up. It's not growing and expanding. It's consolidating moisture. It's reserving resources, right? So now you've got this fungus that's protecting these bacteria because the bacteria are much smaller than the fungus, living within the zone between the root and the fungus getting moisture it needs from the fungus that is pulling moisture from far away to the root zone where it gets its energy and will sustain its life throughout the whole season. But during the summer, the fungus is dying back. That's when plants thrive. 
So during flower, during the dry bag period, they'd be dying off, right? The fung the fungus uh, colony count would be reducing slightly. You're going to have more aeration, so it depends. All things being equal, sat soil saturation and aeration during the, the die-off event is when the plants are going to grow the most. And that's what you have to manage as the grower. These blooms and die-offs with the bacterial, the, the fungal, and the plant. When you, when you figure out those three die-off events and you know how to time your succession properly, and you know how to bounce back and forth between the ni uh, nitrogen or the oxygen-loving and the the oxygen hating bacteria you'll be able to balance your soil profile over and over and over again you know what what, what are uh what is what are terpene what are uh, is thc made out of you know oxygen hydrogen and carbon pretty much what it, it all is so you got to add those things so that these microbes these disassemblers can make the molecules that you need so, kind of, again, I'm kind of thinking as you're speaking is how do you manage them is, uh, I would think, with ferment processing, sugars, good bad sugars is, I think, how you would manage them. And I kind of think that, again, the microbiome in the soil and in our gut, our relationship, you know, there. That's I've kind of taken that and I've noticed in my gut biome, microbiome, when things are firing good, I'm eating well, I'm taking in good sugars, uh, everything's fucking great. My gut's flat, you know what I mean? Everything's mm -hmm. firing good. I switch over to eating shitty, start taking in more white sugars, more bad sugars, and what happens? I'm promoting a, a, a shitty microbiome down there. Things have switched. They've switched. Yes. So why can't you do that with the same in the in the soil with you, you can know, feeding good and bad, you know, swaying the sugars one way or another. The the the, right? the feeding the sugar. So fungus likes complicated problems. It's really good at fixing out complex puzzles it'll eat simple sugars too but bacteria are really 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 good at eating simple sugars so if you give simple sugars to mushrooms and bacteria bacteria will outperform fungus every day every fucking day ask any mushroom grower who's done some slides and has tried to isolate some fucking uh, mycelium Bacterial contaminants will fuck your day up because they're better at the work of simple sugar processing. Now, switch up the medium. Complex carbohydrates, because that's what sugars are, right? The only difference between simple sugars and complex sugars is a couple of, carbo a couple of carbon molecules attached to it. That's it, you know? So... The more complicated or the more carbon added to a substance, the better mushrooms are. The fungal dominant environment will be unlocking that environment. So if you're growing cannabis in a complicated uh, uh, environment full of complex carbohydrates, 
that your best friend is mushrooms, you know? But if you're growing cannabis in an environment of simple sugars, you're probably going to be leaning on, you know, the bacterial side of things because that's what's going to be growing. Same thing is true with anaerobic and aerobic. So if you're on the aerobic side where you're, you're requiring some oxygen, you know, your cannabis is going to be performing. It's going to be doing, it's going to be living according to this, this set parameters. It's going to be doing fine, but that's a whole different niche of microbiome that you need to tap into than somebody growing in the Amazon rainforest, because they're going to be looking for those facultative anaerobes. You know, it's totally different. Now you, on the outside, looking in, you know, looking at the plant growth, we don't perceive the differences so much. Because all of them are cycling nutrients. And it really doesn't matter which one cycles the nutrient, as long as the nutrient gets cycled by something that facilitates the process. For instance, cows. Cows have multiple stomachs, right? So when they bite something, when they eat something, they ruminate the, uh, the grass and it becomes inoculated through their four stomachs. Horses don't. So when they eat it, it goes through one stomach and gets shit out. The grass that is there is totally different. The end product, the manure that we would use, you have to handle it totally different than you would cow manure. Cow and horse manure work different. Then you bring in chicken manure. Chickens can be eating the same thing as cows, grasses, weeds, etc. And they're going to have a higher nitrogen content to their manure. You know? So different microbes, just like different macroorganisms, relying on microbes, alter what they ingest, the carbon source, nitrogen source they ingest to exudate or to shit out some new molecules, some new nutrients that they put together because that's how they do it. They assemble these nutrients differently. These, that's how bacteria are. They're not all the same. And you need different shit. You can't use the same shit. So you got to go through this successional process with these microbes to ensure that you capture different shit from different things. You know what I mean? It's literally shit. It's literally their exudates. It's their, it's their waste products. And that's what we're going after. And then the microphagy cycle is totally cool. It's totally different because these micro... The, the plant will release the exudates, attract the, the bacteria. The bacteria has a cell wall, right? That cell wall protects it from the outside environment. The plant releases superoxides, right? Ozone, O3, superoxide. Where's that found? In the atmosphere. It's an atmospheric gas. The plants can produce it and release a type of hydrogen peroxide into the soil that is the superoxide, that behaves as a superoxide, right? So as that happens, it breaks down the cell wall. The plant pulls in the cytoplasm from the, the bacteria. The, cytop the bacteria, when it has a cell wall, it, it's pulling all kinds of different nutrients. It's pulling in the elements that it needs. But when it gets to certain metallic type substance, certain metal ions, it's going to consolidate these ions, right? And it's going to make these small nucleuses of ions and they're metallic solids in a crystalline form. 
the plant, now they're microscopic, the plant can access these things by harvesting them from the microbe. If the plant does not eat these things, the microbe is going to grow too many crystals inside it where it is no longer able to facilitate the processes that make it grow, right? It's going to shut itself down. It's going to become toxic to itself. So the plant consumes this microbe, removes these nutrients from the cell wall, uh, from the protoplasm, and then spits this protoplasm back into the soil. The protoplasm forms a new cell wall and goes about its mining operation. This is something that nothing you can do outside of nature can replicate. And it is absolutely crucial for plants to have full enzymatic action, to have access to every single freaking nutrient that it can imagine having that it can have. It needs the rhizophagy cycle, man. Hundreds of thousands, millions of years of evolution has put that into that plant. We can't take it out. So as a plant excretes that protoplasm there, and it's reused either by that plant or... Uh, another plant along the line the ways there isn't it passing something you know from one to the other you know as far as that's we an about interesting like thought. terpenes being being passed you know what i mean uh could it that's be a happening real interesting that way thought. it would be part of, we know all right so we could safely say that it would be part of the quorum sensing process right so the plant is communicating with the soil biome through the exudates and through the protoplasm that it ejects, right? So that the, the, the bacteria, as they form the new cell walls, are going to be communicating, yada, yada, yada. So yeah, that, that could actually create a, that could, that's a new thought. I don't know. But um, that could create a synergistic effect that causes other bacteria that are beneficial to the process the plant is trying to go through to come and say, hey, look, this plant will clean you up. You know, think about moray eels or moray, not moray eels, uh, the, 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 the pilot fish, that's what it's called, pilot fish. So sharks get these bacteria and the, these um, parasites, these microparasites that grow on them. And this sucker fish, this uh, pilot fish goes through and it will eat the denticles or clean the denticles, the scales of the shark, right? It's kind of the same thing that the plant does for the bacteria, if you really think about it. It's removing these, this ionic, this, this crystalline form that is formed from the, the metallic ions in the soil. It's pulling those out of the bacteria and releasing the bacteria free to collect more. So it's cleaning the bacteria. So if you think about it like that, it's, yeah, it, it would attract more. Because there's the sharks in the macro world, there's actually places where sharks go and there's a current and they lay there and they let other creatures clean them. So it happens in the macro. I imagine it happens in the micro. So uh, I heard you mention earlier uh, 
the phototrophic period of plants there. And as uh, cannabis growers, we like to think we're kind of outsmarting nature. Uh, I Basically, the way I kind of understand it is uh, in nature or in most plants that it's it's doing most of its process within an eight hour day. And then the, the rest of the time, it's kind of shut itself off and just existing and then uh, doing most of its, you know, good things during the nighttime period, allowing it more to produce more terpenes and kind of push out more. So are, are we bucking ourselves by trying to push our plants a little bit longer, trying to, we talked earlier, you know, we're pushing them, pushing them, pushing them. Are we making mistakes by trying to push them longer, making our days longer, you think? So it sounds like you, you know, so, or would understand. So I as the plant as the plant is going through photosynthesis right that's during the light present hours right so you're talking there's two different things there's energy production and, and then enzyme production cellular production all these things that happen from the energy that is collected plants pull their energy from light so when your hat you have your plant going 24 hours a day or 18 hours a day or 12 hours a day the light period is its energy cycle. That doesn't mean that it's not producing enzymes. That doesn't mean that it's not producing things. But there are cellular processes that are photodependent. They exist. We may not have like identified all of them. We don't have to. We know they exist because the plant evolved to exist in that paradigm. So it's there. We don't have to prove it. Why the fuck do I have to prove it? It's there. The plant does it. Now, it would be nice to prove it. It would be wonderful to understand it to a molecular level. But we don't need to in order to, to utilize or to, to realize what the plant needs. You know? So we can hack something without understanding it to, to the nth degree. You know, so, so with the, the respiration, so light feeding the soil microbes, rest soil microbes feeding plant. You could look at it like that. You could look at these, these other, the, the rest period processes that need to happen, these enzymes that are produced when the plant is resting. That rest period it, it matters, but uh, for the soil biology, when the plant is pushing sugars out, the soil is happy, but it will sleep and a new process happens. So all of the cycles, the best thing to do is replicate nature as best as you can, because that's what's going to attract the, the soil biome you want. That's just what I'm getting at is, you know, the, the true you know, vegetative state of 18 hours a day for as long as we want to push it, isn't it happening outdoors? No, it's not. You know what I mean? I think as growers, we're, we're trying to fucking push it. Like, we're trying to always push it. More news. Absolutely. More, 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 more. I think yeah, we're so, kind of wasting, or we could cut back a little bit. Absolutely, we could cut back. Our, uh, our plants... 
they can handle a huge window. There, there's a huge window of 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 tolerances. Like I read this this stuff about, and, and you know, there are the ideal conditions. I'm not going to knock it, but people say, you know, you got to grow with this this temperature. You know, you got to grow with this humidity. Man, I know people growing in Lucerne Valley. I don't know if you know where that is, but it's just just south of Death Valley, if you know where that is. It's the hottest place in the United fucking States. These people are growing cannabis out fucking doors or in high tunnels. It's 120 fucking degrees and they're not running AC. So how the fuck is this plant surviving? Because it's completely outside of the paradigms that it should be able to. It does. You know, so that's not ideal. You're not going to get the best bud formation. You're not going to get, there's a lot of lacks that you're going to have there. You're going to have a lot of problems, but the plant can survive within that paradigm. The plant can exist as long as it has the proper food, the proper water, the proper conditions. 120 is a little hyperbolic, but it's not far from that. 115, definitely. I've seen it happen. I see that uh, they're bringing it up in chat. I was kind of leaning that way too. Uh, you know, the phototropic period there for most plants, like I was leaning, saying there is only couture to outdoors to like eight hours of natural sunlight is all they really, really need. And then they could get by with the rest of the afternoon being cloudy, you know what I mean? Just to keep Oh, yeah, their, direct sunlight. Absolutely, you know direct mean? sunlight. When you uh, look at the recommendations of most seed packs that like direct sun, six hours of direct sunlight, that's about it. Look at the way the sun moves through the sky. You know, you get those long shadows in the morning, long shadows at night. You, you know, there's only like this six to eight hour window where you get the, those, those. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, we're blowing tons of energy. The plant doesn't need all that light. And I think some of it earlier on, uh, these time periods that we talk about or we grow indoors where um because nowadays we are starting to understand uh dli a little bit more um a lot of great growers um are starting to to understand that they don't need all the light for as long uh, as long as we've been told to push them for and um I think we're getting more and more smarter, but I think in the, in the beginning of indoor cultivation, I think they tried to use it, not just to push it, but uh, the lights were so much weaker. The plant needed oh, yeah. extra because they weren't getting the same amount of, uh, I forget, you moles or uh, what is the yeah, measurement man. outdoors? Uh, I believe you're right. I think it's a kind of universal unimoles. Um, I think that's what it means. It's measurement of light, that, that what it gets per square meter per second, some shit like that. But I think as, you know, we're getting more and more powerful lights, uh, I think we should be more and more uh, wise or, you know, hip to like what we're talking about, nature and the way they use the, the amount of intense light. You know, they 
I think we are wasting an incredible amount of energy trying to keep the 12, 12, the, the 18, six cycles. I think both of those time periods could be dialed back a little bit for, to be honest with you, especially now that we're getting stronger lights. But then again, we kind of get back to the question and I've, I've had this conversation with Smiley and uh, how are we doing good pushing the plant harder? You know what I mean? Is the plant actually being more beneficial being slammed hard for that six hours? Or is it better? I, I put it for the analogy with him. Is it better for that plant to sprint for six hours you know what I mean? Get every, get the race in, or is it better for that plant to jog for, you know, a little bit longer, taking down the intensity, allowing the plant to jog throughout the day versus turning up the light, turning everything up and making it work hard and then giving it a longer rest period, you know, which, which in your opinion would be better to push it hard and, and then a, a longer rest period or a jog and even it out. I think uh, I think anytime we speak in absolutes, other than you know known absolutes that are like one hundred percent known, as far as like yeah, if you don't breathe, you die. You know, we require breath, oxygen to breathe, like to live, like like that's an absolute we can agree on. But when you're talking about pushing a plant, nature is not like that. It's not what is better. The better is neither and both you know so out some days are cloudy so if you're gonna water your plant a lot maybe give it a cloudy day that day you know because that's what what happened in nature you know the photo period period is dampened during a rainstorm then rain clouds move away moisture dissipates the plant goes into hyperdrive grows like a weed you know so if we if we maintain the same the same saturation level the same oxygenation level and light level the plants are only going to go through a very narrow bandwidth of of a process you know is it best well maybe it's the best for growth maybe it's the best for for final product uh, uh, weight, but maybe it's not the best technique for bringing out terpenes. You know, you could do chest workouts all day and your ass would be flat as a board. You know, you got to do some squats. It's the same kind of thing. You got to switch it up. Um, there's a, I heard that um, some stuff about light stress, you know, that, that sometimes flipping a plant if it's sensitive to light stress uh, directly to 12 and 12 from an 18-6 cycle can cause some Hermie tendencies to pop out, right? I thought about it, you know, uh, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. But regardless, that is an extra stress that exists outside of nature. And since cannabis plants carry those traits, then perhaps it is an extra stressor. I, I don't know. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? Do you have any information? Well, I can tell you this much. Uh, I've heard a lot of uh, the 24-hour, the period of darkness before you put it into flower to kind of quicken the onset of flower. 
Uh, I actually run 24 hours of veg, not necessarily because I think I'm pushing the plants or whatever. It's just a sheer matter of convenience for me. You know what I mean? You see the tent behind me. Oh, I can yeah. have a veg going in the middle. You know what I mean? Right, and right. work on the two. So that's that's the only reason why I do the 24-hour veg. It isn't because they go faster or any of that. It's just a matter of convenience. But what I have noticed is from taking that plan from a 24-hour veg to a flower, I have noticed a very quicker onset of uh, budding or flower than a normal veg period. You're talking, say you're ta doing it eight to 10 week. days max, eight to 10 days max. If you do it that way, right? Like you see bud formation yeah. eight to 10 days max. Yeah, that's a, that's interesting. So uh, the other, other thing I would uh, note as far as like hermetic uh, you know, traits triggering like that, um, I was housing some males and was keeping them under 24 hours thinking, aha, got you bitches, right? And then uh, I had a just a weird break in the cycle a couple of days where i kind of shut the lights off for one reason or another and i think there was a, a power outage that wasn't that long in that period too but not enough to you know throw things one way or another and the male triggered same same strain i had a couple of males a couple of different females of males I had, but one or two of them triggered real quick from just a, you know, one or two hour break in the wow. time cycle, which you wouldn't think that would be enough, but it sure did, man. Set him off and pollinating the room without <laughs> me kind of being aware. So there might be something to that, you know what I mean? If it's there in a, in a female plant and has that part of a male in there? Yeah, sure. Why not? Why not? Yeah, I I, I can see that. Hmm. I'm buying it. All right. Well, I, I'm not a I'm not 100 positive, but it made kind of sense to me. Um, you know, I've got a, a few. I, so I so I tried it. I, I I basically have done an experiment in this last this last little while, and I've got. Plants. I brought them down pretty, like I started out natural, but nature takes a long fucking time. So after a while, I got kind of irritated with weight, and um, I I sped up the cycle a little bit. So it's not exactly nature, but it's a thirty minute interval. So every day, thirty minutes less until it hits the it hits the time. And when it hit twelve and twelve. Within four days, the flowers were flowering. That doesn't, that means that the, the photo, the, the, the transition happens a lot quicker than 12 and 12. So, so perhaps some species, maybe it's 13 that they start to flower and that's where they do it, you know? 
But um, 12 and 12 is, I think, a general rule. And we could probably, you know, like you were saying, save a lot of energy or maybe dial things in by um, by messing with those frequencies, you know, uh, the, the the duration of light versus dark. Um, it's always been plant needs as much food as possible. And, and my lights are, are barely cutting it. So longer, but um, not anymore. So kind of pick your brain here as well and again i i like to theorize a lot of shit and i i'm a big advocate and i don't know why or when or where i know early in life the the, the idea of everything kind of being based off or having something to do with frequency set on earlier and, and as i'm going living life I'm kind of picking up that things are very much based on frequency. Uh, everything has a frequency to it. Everything has a frequency to it. And uh, there's definitely a frequency going on in the soil. So I can't help it. And I've, you've, we've seen, I've seen um, experiments where you can pre-program water one way or another. I've seen growers, twisted roots, talk about uh, crystals in the water. A bunch of people with you know, water, crystals in water, trying to add some type of frequency to their water. So do you think by heating your, uh, using your method and heating the water up or making it ultrasonic, you know what I mean? Putting a vibration smacking it off with a vibration you know what i mean that's basically what you're doing you're you yeah. know, taking that puddle of water and just sending it off to, bang, with a nice little vibration do you think it adds anything on top of being a smaller molecule to man i had not even considered that aspect of it i had not even considered that aspect to my brain, it's all, it's all, it's all, there's a, a, there's a reason plants grow great by waterfalls. And there's a reason why plants do what they do. And it doesn't have to, like, if I said, if I wrote, I don't want to sound like, you know, I'm like closed off to everything, man. Cause I love to jive on shit, but if I'm like going on the record for something, I gotta be, you know, gotta speak honestly with it, man. I don't know that like there's people that say, if you write certain symbols, like if you say love plants get happy, well, that's in English for fuck's sake, you know? So is it the vibration as in the tonal vibrations going through, or is it the intention? Now, if you're talking about intention, now you're talking about something that is truly metaphysical. You know, vibrations we can replicate through sound, we can replicate through, you know, oscillating frequencies, all these kind of things. But when you're talking about intention, that's different. So is it the intention that's altering the water structure or is it the, the, the symbol or the word? You know, um, I'm not sure. But um, I know that that's intention to me is interesting but when it comes to soil i don't know that it would be the harmonics it would be um i think it would be the air and water ratio that is achieved through micro droplets being moved through forced air 
I agree. I agree that's a, a good piece of the puzzle. But I guarantee matching the frequency. Oh, man, you got me thinking now, dude. (laughs) You got me thinking now, man. (laughs) How would you measure that is the question. Like, how would you measure the specific frequency of a specific cannabis plant? Like, like what it would, if you could alter it. Got you there, brother. I have got your answer there. And it just so happens I am uploading his episode right now to Spotify. Not not to, not to take time for a shameless plug, but I got okayed for of the video format of Spotify long ago. And for one reason or another, I haven't uploaded video to Spotify. But I'm doing it. I'm doing it right now to this nice. gentleman. So basically, it's Jay from Midnight Roots. If you look him up on Instagram or you go back and watch, he's had two episodes with me on the channel, both of which we kind of talk about adding crystals, which are pre-programmed with a frequency and put off. There's a lot of known benefits to adding crystals to the soil and near your roots. But anyways, going further on to what you're kind of talking about, there's evidence or there's an episode. And you go on his channel, he does it quite a bit. So basically what he's done, and uh, I think they did this in the uh, Secret Life of Plants is kind of a takeoff on this, is if you, you can take wires to uh, it with alligator clips and attach them to different parts of your plant and basically it goes to like it's almost like a guitar pickup and then it you can feed it into whatever he he feeds it into uh an instrument panel so basically he can change the sound or the frequency to a a musical note or you know what i mean Uh different instrument so what he's come up with or what he's doing is you can he'll put an alligator clip on uh, one part of the plant and then an upper part of the plant and there is most definitely a fruit that plant during the different types of different times of the day different strains even is making a different they're talking they're constantly putting off a frequency you know what I mean? A, a uh-huh. pattern. Yeah. And from from branch to branch, it, it, it speeded or slowed down, you know, different parts of the plant. You could tell where it was. Like, we're really at work or communicating at most. And that varied from not only from place to place on the plant, but different cultivars, so different strains, different plants had different frequencies and so it's really intriguing uh so you go back and what, you watch that ep- episode or I wonder you know, what go a, over uh, to his channel what a healthy forest would sound like 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 okay so we know that that they, they they've got that happening so what if you go into the deep healthy forest somewhere where the life is pristine and everything is perfect and you hook up one of those trees to it what the sound difference would be like would it be as chaotic 
Would it be more calm? Would it be, you know, or, or would it be super chaotic, which maybe in plant language is calm? Who knows? You know, like, like, but it would be neat to be able to get a sample from, from that because that might give us a baseline of what these noises are. And, you know, again, have you ever uh, heard of the sonic bloom type uh, thing? Oh, man. Tell me more. Oh, man. So the sonic bloom is a frequency they play for plants or they kind of come up with that uh, they think mimics nature and if you play this to your plant, it, they think or they have proof that it will open up the plants stimatus as wide open as they can. So you can push the plant as hard as you want to push it, basically. And uh, it, can, it sounds almost like a field of whippoorwills or something like that kind of speed it up. And, uh, but there's a lot of there's a lot different. Uh, they have different blooms too, for kind of what is, you're wanting to do. So, so they're finding that the, these frequencies are directly related to the stomata sizes. Is it is it the size of the stomata, or is it the just the the as open the position? It, it's the frequencies triggering them to open and stay open. Just to open. Basically. Okay. All right, so interesting. That, that is interesting because now remember I was talking. So even kind of further over on that is they kind of, and from what I've gathered, is uh, it's nature's way of uh, sex, basically. Uh, other creatures uh, mating, whatever that noise is the frequency that uh, sweetens up the <laughs> holy shit man that is wild that what a wild fucking thought holy crap man Uh, the one thing hey, I didn't go back. over with you this evening. Yeah, the one the one pre-show thing I didn't go over with you tonight is sometimes my internet can be shit and you will still be live the host if I disappear. Sorry oh. about that, but I'm back. <laughs> no worries. I've been trying to figure out what's going on, hitting buttons on my phone, so I'm sure everybody got a, a jazz from that. But yeah, I think uh, frequency definitely plays um, a big part of it. And I think that kind of goes over to what we were talking about earlier, uh, that intention and shit when you're dealing with your plants. 
you're that's a frequency you're putting off you know what i mean that's your vibe you know what i mean you don't want to take that negative vibe in your room because it's bad for your plants so why can't right, it right. Yeah, absolutely, man. Those, uh, all those vibrations come through and they, uh, they exist. Uh, what they mean, we don't know. Um, I don't know. I read some, uh, somebody posted some shit about, uh, about water and how these molecules form with intention. Um, like I say, man, I think all that is, exciting and cool and there's a, a lot of uh there's a lot to be checked out but we can go with the known knowns things that we know and then things that we how about then the things that we think we know um but when you dance only with the unknown unknowns it's very difficult to arrive to a um solid conclusion you know that's kind of how i try to to look at plants and and what kind of things I should do with them. Um, you know, uh, for, you know, think about it, you know, um, as a human being, we go through life and we are raised a specific way. Uh, if we go somewhere else to another country, say, and, um, they have a different culture, um, everything we thought we knew and every social norm that we thought was the right way to behave you know it's going to be challenged perhaps um and that you know that that's kind of along that it kind of goes along the lines of like uh, uh of the crystal thing um plants operate on an ionic level Right, they're act, operating on another level too. But when you get down to it, when you're on the that that level, it, it's truly about that. It's this element is vibrating. I mean, it's a single, it's a it's a molecule, and is vibrating at this this rate, and your plant's going to interact with it. Um, you know, the sound of sex increasing the fertility that's interesting because there's a lot of uh there's some pagan rituals that are um discussed that that are well historically discussed and talked about where uh, they call them fertility rituals and uh people would go and have sex underneath you know the trees and in the fields and whatnot and it was it was to ensure a, a, a fertile crop for the next year so uh it's interesting that you said it was the the the, the frequency was the sounds of organisms fucking because um there's anecdotal evidence that humans picked up on that years ago and they called it a fertility ritual and they fucked in the fields so uh, uh that is a very fascinating point But, um, yeah, man. So, um, I guess 
I guess we're in one of those dead zones right now. So I'm going to start keep talking for a few minutes. Hopefully we get a, a connection. Um, I have no access to chat. Nothing like that. But um, yeah, I'm um, sipping on some uh, whiskey that I made. I distilled it from corn and infused it with some cannabis. You're still hey, there. You're well, back. I'll try for a minute until the other one will boot up. I don't get it, man. I can. My computer is up and running. I can see chat fucking rolling by, but Zoom will not let me fucking load back in for some freaking reason. So sorry. Thank you for hanging out, man. I'm completely, completely embarrassed. No worries, man. Um, no worries. I just, uh, you're back. Cool. So, uh, anyway, where'd you leave off at? No, I can't hear you on this one. Oh, wow. Jeez. Let's try this. Hold on. Please be patient. I can't believe this. <laughs> we broke it. I, I can't hear you on this device for some reason. Huh. One minute. Thank you for being a sport. That's all I can say. I got nothing better to do tonight. I've enjoyed uh, the opportunity to be on talking to you. No. Spitballing out ideas, talking about shit. It's nice, man. Can you say something now? I can say something now. Can you hear me now? Okay. All right. There we go. I can hear you now. Awesome. Yeah. Fantastic. The small things. The small things. So another thing that uh, I think is real interesting on top of uh, like frequency that uh, we were talking about is uh, you were talking about air and uh, air quality, I think, uh, is I think something that we don't talk about enough. I, you know, uh, what's in the air necessarily of course as far as bacteria fungi and stuff like that that are present in pressures on our plant but as gases as well um i i'm a road in this area for now for quite some time uh six years in this in particular space and at one point um there was a fatigue mat across this floor. I talk about this quite a bit. People, it's actually still a somewhat of a running joke. Um, I, at one point, wanted it's coincidental. It, it falls, goes coinciding with each other. The want to bring a pine, uh, terpene based cannabis back into the garden and pulling up the fatigue mat off the, this floor which there's a 12-inch floor drain behind me. And when I did, uh, 
it started off gassing or putting uh, unseen pressure in the room, which was preventing multiple cultivars that were supposed to be pine dominant uh, to express that. So dude, every one of them dude, dude. instead wow. of putting out pine they put out more of like a dragon fruit what I'm calling terpene profile. It's totally suppressed the pine. Wow, dude. You just you just like fucking wow. All right, so atmospheric inputs to the soil gases, right? So if you can alter those atmospheric, so you're saying that the air, the atmosphere in your grow environment is different and it's fucking totally flipped the fucking terps. Dude, we can fix that. We can do it, like yes. not fix that, but we can do a test by a side by side and see if we can manipulate it. The most logical one would be what, argon or methane? Which one do you think is likely the likely likely culprit i'm thinking uh methane uh so we can produce methane go ahead we can make methane we can make methane through a methane bioreactor right so a small concealed a small chamber that we do we put methane producing bacteria in give them the right food and we can increase the methane in a grow chamber so you'd be able to test that. Yeah, you could do it. You just gave me a really great idea, man. So using gas inputs, right? So methane specific, boom, pop it right in through the system, throwing it through the soil profile, plant gets it because you're using air injection for the growth system anyway. Argon, whatever, whatever trace gas you want to use to increase for terpene production, you could you could test it out that way. I, I didn't think about that before, man. Thanks for that. Terp, uh, the, the trace gases, the, the the concentrations of trace gases in an environment causing that that make that would make sense, dude. That 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 would totally change the dominance of the molecule it has access to to for the carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen to bind to. I'm not a chemist or anything, but fuck, that makes sense. Holy shit. Right now, I never even thought about that. I kind of suggested the idea of like filling the chamber off and you know putting select gases in to kind of dominate the profile. You gotta do but it, I've, dude. I've never thought about uh, you. I, am I understanding it right? You're kind of talking about in through the soil, or do put pushing yeah. it through the soil as well. Well, it would get to the plant eventually. But if you push it through the soil, the atmospheric gases through the soil, then you're, you know, you're utilizing the uh, the advantages that the system that I'm talking about gives you, as well as being able to test your your theory. Because that, that is interesting. Um, maybe I'm out of the loop or whatever, but I, I don't know if I've ever heard that before as an explanation. That's that's um, really interesting. Yeah, I never thought about it. And actually, since um, I kind of made that correlation, uh, I kind of noticed it by nose uh, way after the plants did. 
the plants noticed it obviously before my nose did and i was only noticing it at certain points you know and it i'd go well you know i'm smelling a little sulfurish or you know maybe at certain points but i never even made note of it whatever i just kind of wow weird night or whatever but obviously the plants were way ahead of me so after I've kind of taken note of this. I've kind of somewhat plugged the, I haven't plugged it. I mean, actually I've got plastic over it and then I've, but it's covered, but I have noticed already the, the profiles that I would expect from these cultivars to be kind of coming back, making their, their way back. So there's definitely something to it. I'm going to have to do some experimentation now, man. <laughs> you got my wheels a churning, bro. That, that's, that's, that's a really cool observation, man. So, so what is the environment you're in that's doing that? You're, you're in like a basement, you said? No, uh, I'm above ground. Most people assume because it's, they can see the pipe there above me. Uh, that it, that I'm in a basement, but I'm above ground in a garage structure. So basically, this is an even fed into like a, a drain. You know what I mean, like a sewer drain or anything yeah. else. As far as I'm aware, this is just a drain that's run out into some pea rock into the yard. I don't think it's attached to the septic in any kind of way, but off gassing nonetheless. Huh. Sick. Ah, it got me thinking, and it wouldn't take much. You know, I mean, you raising the, the the parts per million of CO two has a pretty profound effect on plants. You know, and if you're thinking we got zero point four parts per million, you know. Or zero point four percent of that uh, of the, the the atmospheric gases are are CO two, and it has a profound effect. So you, you increase it by parts per million, just a little bit. You know, you double it. It's like whoa, you know. So I imagine, man. Well, I mean, that's the way I kind of. Well, according to what I've taken in from you, I think that it's a twofold when you plant like banker and companion plants, you know, I know they're, they're doing cool. I'm back on the other one. <laughs> Took forever. But, uh, I think the banker and the companion plants, um, work twofold by what I'm talking with you. Last audio, man. Last audio. for uh hey that's better i can hear you now 
uh, why couldn't that work? You know what I mean? Just to boost hers, not necessarily, uh, you know, bring one out or another, just to increase. Yeah, I, um, <clears throat> 